Hey everybody, it's Mitch. Welcome back to Just Friends. Guys, we've got such an exciting episode this week. Our guest this week is someone I've talked about for maybe the past week and a half. He's been all over the Facebook page. He's someone I am extremely fond of. He's our friend, Mr. Seth Jones. Seth is a local artist. I met him when I was about 19 years old when I first started going to the Lifesong Community Church where Seth's uncle James is pastor. And the first thing I learned about him was that he went to Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was immediately smitten with Seth. He's such a fun guy. He's got a great personality. He's got a great attitude and a great mindset. He's exactly the type of person that you, that you want to have around you. He lifts the people around him up. And I think that is extremely evident in our podcast. I'll go ahead and ask you guys who are listening on Apple Podcasts to rate the show and leave us a review. I greatly appreciate it. It really helps us out. But enough about that, guys. We've got a great conversation ahead, and I would be remiss if I delayed any longer. So sit back and relax and prepare yourself for a wonderful conversation with our friend, Mr. Seth Jones. Such a great setup, dude. Thank you. I put a lot of effort into it. You can tell. It's awesome. You know, I had the privilege of getting to learn a lot about setting up audio setups like this just from working with your uncle Mm, mm -hmm. and just putting being put him putting me in a situation where I was like I really I really would appreciate it if you could get this done and I was like okay maybe I'll try and then I'd walk into a situation where I had no idea what I was doing and I'd have to figure it out so I appreciate that but it really did a lot of it led to this so it's it's funny how those kind of things happen right like you know like you had no idea this was going to be a precursor to you setting up this beautiful studio with four mics and yeah. you know having all these people come in and talk you have no idea what you're going to learn and when you're going to learn it and when it's going to become valuable but it usually does at some point, yeah. which I think is cool. And it, and also, like, I only feel like recently in my life have I reached a place where I knew what learning was and how it happened, or at least kind of did, and and then was able to really start producing something with it. I think, honestly, this is the first big creative adventure I've taken mm-hmm. in my whole life. So that's really interesting, and... That kind of leads us in a direction because I feel like you've probably considered yourself as being a creative your entire life, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I've known pretty much from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And were you born in like this area in Louisville as well? I I was, was? Okay, cool. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Cloverleaf Acres. Okay. Uh, So you know where Shavley is? Yes. You know Iroquois? Mm -hmm. And so it's a small little neighborhood right there. It's where Guttermuth Elementary is. Okay, I know where Guttermuth is. and, And Shively Baptist. So where Shively is, that's the neighborhood. I know exactly and, where that is, yeah. And that's where we spent all of our days, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. My grandparents lived in Shively. Okay. So. I, I think I knew that because I've heard James, your uncle, talk about yep. living in Shively. Yep. yep. So where did you end up going to elementary school then? Guttermuth, which Guttermuth. was amazing. That's that's actually where the creativity started. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I should probably preface before that that James was the reason I got so into art. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you know about him, but he is huge. Like, he's such an artist. And he's probably one of the most talented artists I've ever known. I mean, really? tr- truly. And I've been very fortunate to travel and do a lot of things. And uh, I remember being a little kid one day. I was at my grandparents' house. My grandparents helped raise me and, and watch me. And uh, my Uncle James walks in. He was so fun. And, like, you know, he's loud and, you know, he's very, very creative. Did very he have loud. big hair at the time? Big curly hair. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think he was driving a Beetle with, like, no floorboards at the time. It was, like, Fred Flintstone. And uh, But he was just a cool uncle. Like, you know, my, my mom was the older sibling, so I had these really cool uncles. And even my Uncle John, I don't know if you've ever met John, 
but he was creative too. So I had some very creative uncles around me and they were just always really cool. And I came in one day and James just plopped down on the ground and he grabbed a piece of paper and he drew Venom from Spider-Man, like out of his, out of his head. And he just drew it. And then he's, and I was, I was blown away by it. I remember just watching him and thinking, how cool is this? You know, how amazing is this? And I mean, I must've been first or second grade and he's, and he could tell I was enamored by it. And so then he turns around and draws carnage from Spider-Man, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And I just kind of naturally drew into it. And he actually lived at our house at one point and he had a studio. It's, it's really amazing. I'll, I'll talk about this later, but there's a picture of me as a real little kid at his drafting table drawing in the house that he, when he lived with us when I was a real little kid. And 25 some odd years later, I did a promotional piece for an art show of mine. And I, I'd, I'd never had seen that photo. And I replicated a painting almost just like that. I'm not kidding. And so my mom sees this painting and she's like, oh my gosh. And then she went and got the photo and she's like, look. And it's almost exactly from that subversive, you know, whatever it is, image that I had when I was a kid. And so my Uncle James really was a catalyst. And then at Guttermuth, we had this amazing art teacher. And it's horrible because you've had a lot of teachers on and teachers are amazing. I know you were a teacher. Yeah, I was a teacher for five years. And uh, teachers can change a kid's life. But it was third grade. And uh, you, you, back then you only took art once a week. Right. And so like then you did like music once a week or something. And uh, my mom got a call and they're like, we need you to have a come parent teacher conference with the art teacher. And my mom, I remember she was like, what the hell did you do? Like, right. why, why, why do I have to go have a parent teacher conference with the art teacher? You know, like what happened to you? And uh, she goes in and I'm sitting there. I imagine you were confused too, right? Did you know? Well, what? I mean, I was always, uh, I'm always very anxious and nervous mm-hmm. and that's part of my whole makeup and stuff. And so I'm like, I have no idea what I did. What could I have possibly done? And you go through every scenario. It's like when you get called, called down to the principal's office and you're like, I have done nothing. What could I have potentially done? And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? And uh, the teacher pulls out this drawing of a T-Rex I did. And I, it was in third grade. And she's like, Mrs. Jones, I'd like for you to see what your son drew. <laughs> and she said it in a kind of a way that you're like, what is it going to be a picture of? Like, you know, oh my, what, what did a boy do? You know? And, uh, it was this beautiful T-Rex and I think my mom still has it somewhere. And my mom just kind of looks at it. My mom's like the sweetest lady ever. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's very nice. That's, you know, he draws like this quite a bit at home. And the teacher's like, oh really? And she's like, yeah, is, is there something wrong? Well, I would just like to show you some of the other kids drawings. And so then she pulls out like four or five other kids' drawings and they're like complete crap. You know, I mean, I shouldn't say that. They're kids. And, and my mom's like, oh, well, his is very different. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because like mine was like a full rendered T-Rex and all yeah. this stuff. And she's like, yes, it is. He's exceptional and mm-hmm. he needs to start taking extracurricular art classes. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, JCPS had this program that you could sign up for to where um, I would go to different schools with different art teachers and take art classes throughout the week. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And so... All of a sudden, I had this teacher, again, talking about the importance of teachers, that really helped me grow and experience a lot of different art styles and different things. And luckily, my mom was incredibly supportive. My grandparents were incredibly supportive, and they carted me around the city of Louisville for the next six years, I think. Wow. I did this all the way through middle school, and, um, and you know, it, it just, it kind of was a catalyst, I guess. Right. I guess where I'm interested in is, so that, was that just like, did you feel like it was a natural ability or do you think you were just so interested in that creative process from a young age and you had seen like really well drawn images done by your family members? So like you just had a 
a stronger idea of what a fully rendered image was supposed to be? Like what made you so much better than your I, peers? I, I think it was a combination of those things. Yeah. You know, I was very fortunate because and I've heard you talk about it a lot. Like, you know, you're really coming into your own now with like the podcast and your creativity and, and the music and how you kind of fell into your guitar. And a lot of that is the people you surround yourself. You know, we were talking upstairs about, you know, you are who you surround yourself and their big influences and they can motivate you. And I was very fortunate that I was surrounded by very creative, very supportive people. Like even my grandmother, my grandmother used to hand letter my grandpa's business signs. And so like, even though it was like very technical, but like she's sitting there drawing it out, you know, she would always help me. And we did creative projects all the time. My brother was incredibly, Zach, Mm -hmm. you know, was incredibly supportive, probably my most supportive individual in my life. And my, my mother was just, I was very fortunate. And I think, so it's a combination of things. One, I think I did have a natural talent. I think there is something to be said for that. But I also had a lot of people that encouraged me to do more of it, Mm -hmm. you know, so that practice makes perfect, you know, um, and just constantly doing it. But then also just being around people that didn't think you were weird, you know, that that didn't think it was strange that you wanted to sit down and draw all the time. Or, you know, like I had sketchbook after sketchbook or, you know, I was drawing Disney characters or I was drawing Dragon Ball Z characters later. And, Mm. you know, like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in high school teachers were like... Seth quit drawing during class, you know, but then they'd walk over and be like, oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Keep drawing, you know, like, and it's really funny because a lot of people don't get that support, you know, a lot. And and I have a couple of other stories too, that, you know, that first story was really the catalyst, but then there's multiple other stories. You know, I didn't know I was going to go to college period. And I, and I really didn't think I was ever going to do anything with art. And so you see these moments in life being surrounded by those people that really do motivate you. So I think it is, yes, there's some natural ability there. Um, but I also think that being surrounded by those people and being coached and, and taught and, and encouraged makes the biggest difference, mm-hmm. you know, and like, like later on before Hannah was born, James and Sherry watched me for a weekend and they took me to a Chicago comic book convention. And that's when I fell in love with comics, you know, and like without having my aunt and uncle love me enough to take me away for a weekend and pay for that and put me up in a hotel and just spend one-on-one time. And James walked around. I mean, I can't imagine how horrible it must've been <laughs> to have a seven-year-old walk around at a comic book convention but it was the coolest event of my life. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was amazing. And so those people are the biggest differentiator, in my opinion. Yeah. Because you can learn just about anything. I, I believe that. I think people can learn just about anything. Yeah. If you want something bad enough, you can make it happen. Yeah. If you understand the process that goes into doing it. Yep. Or at least you understand the process of learning the process. I don't know. I don't well, want to no, get it, too much deep in that. No, I but I, there is a lot to that. Yeah. And, and we don't encourage, you know, having been a teacher, we don't encourage that a lot. We yeah. don't encourage discovery. Right. You know, and and that's a learned attribute. It mm-hmm. is very much a learned attribute. Yeah. And I think when you push people to do that, they open themselves up more. I mean, just like you never would have known how to do a lot of this. Yeah. And all of a sudden you had a couple events, you know, that encouraged you to get there or, or some kind of spark and you, you made yourself learn it. You know, yeah. I always love those YouTube videos of people making windmills and yeah. energy. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, they were open to the concept of figuring it out, making it happen. And yeah. if you want something bad enough, you will make it happen. Yeah, you know, I re- I saw an interesting Facebook post recently of a friend of mine. And he was trying to ma- he was making a good point. He was talking about how humans have become extremely reliant on technology and how um uh we have that's we've been done a disservice in that way. And he was talking about people who get lost um, on their own property or in their own neighborhoods when you know their cell phones are dead or something like that. And I'm guilty of that. Mm-hmm. But one thing he said that I thought was interesting. Um, was he criticized people for using YouTube videos to learn how to do things. And I thought that was a strange criticism because I actually think that's one really positive thing that comes out of the internet is the ability for young people who don't have access to 
to models of behavior and also just to information in general who now have access to an infinite amount of information and can learn anything they want. Well, it's, it's the next evolution. Awesome. I agree. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, books change the world, right? I mean, the printing press changed the world because you had access. And so all of a sudden you, you have people who can become better educated, more knowledgeable because information could be shared. Then you have the birth of the internet, right? And the internet made it even more accessible. And I agree, reliance on those things can be problematic. Absolutely. You know, any kind of uh, addiction, you know, can be problematic. You can be addicted to, you know, technology. You know, I mean, absolutely. But I think we are a visually evolved culture. This is something I write and lecture about actually with my my current, you know, regional director role. And uh, I lecture a lot about how we are a visually evolved culture. And the video tutorials, the video engagement is the next evolution of the book, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I love books. I'm I'm a bibliophile. I have, you know, I, I make books. I still print books. But videos are the next evolution of that. And we are so visually engaged that watching kids see that YouTube video and see some of those things, it, it can be very beneficial. But like the videos of kids watching other kids play with toys, that's when you can see it becoming a problem. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like you need to go out and play your own or experience it for yourself. But where that young man in Africa learned how to make like the windmill that generated power is like a, a generator, I think. Now, who can say that that's wrong? You know, right. he had access to something and was motivated enough and encouraged enough and went and did it. That's the same as reading instructions in a book, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but maybe even more easily digestible. Yeah, that's you know? what it is. It's a, it's a it's a better medium for transferring information. I agree. Uh, and that's one cool thing that technology does. But another interesting thing about technology is we've transferred a lot of language to text, mm -hmm. which is a which is a worse medium sometimes for transferring information. Yep. What's well, selective than literacy? Spoken word. Yeah, it's a, it's selective literacy. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. It's, it's just, I think it's very interesting how we talk about illiteracy in children and illiteracy in our current culture, but then you have, you know, on your cell phone, like if you leave a voicemail, if you don't want to listen to it, it transcribes it for you, right? You know, and you talk about text to, you know, uh, sp spoken to text apps and tools and things like that. And so it is selective literacy, right? And the written form is still incredibly effective, but it's not as effective as, vi as video content, you know? And so I think it's, something very unique about it. And that's why a lot of podcasters do video record, right? Because some people want sight and sound, not just sound or not just visuals, you know, or in advertisements, you know, a lot of what I do, you know, people don't want the sound on at work or they don't want it when they're watching, you know, with their kids. And so then you have text, right? You have subtitles because if you just see a mouth, you know, you don't know what they're saying. So it's interesting how we pick and choose the medium to best suit our need in that moment. Yeah. And I think video is still one of the best ways for education. And we're seeing that now with NTI, you know, the non-traditional instruction for for kids. I mean, if it wasn't, then we wouldn't be doing these. I know, I know you don't have kids yet, but, you know, we wouldn't be doing these screen shares, you know, mm -hmm. Microsoft Teams and Google Meets. But we know there's power to seeing. And that's why I think the visual arts are going to even rebound more, um, more in the coming years. Visual artists and, and visuals, everything's designed, everything's planned. And I'm very proud to be a part of that because we are such a visually evolved culture. And that started for you in elementary school. Yeah, probably. I mean, before that, but yeah, elementary yeah. school was the catalyst. Yeah, yeah, the, the main taking off point. And they, yeah. so Guttermuth was a a really artsy school, or at least you had a great teacher who was there who supported you. Where did you go next? Uh, then, then I went to No. I've heard so much I about No. Yeah, No was No was great. It's actually my uncle John. Again, family connections. He ended up being a counselor there. But uh, No was the next big stepping point. There was a gentleman there named Doug Deweese, uh, Mister Doug Deweese. And he was my art teacher there, but no was a fantastic experience. It was middle school's a hard age. I think middle school's a really hard age. You know, you have a lot of diverse kids with a lot of different family backgrounds. But no was wonderful to me. 
I'm still in touch with a couple of teachers from that time. But uh, uh, Mr. DeWeese was a, a master printmaker and really kind of honed in on me and let me take extra art classes, really saw something there and motivated me to continue to go. And then I was my last year there, eighth grade, I was supposed to go to a manual for their arts program. Mm-hmm. And he didn't speak to me for like three months <laughs> because I told him I wasn't going. I was going to go to Seneca. I went to Seneca. And he didn't speak to me for like three months. He was so disappointed. And I think he actually he's a, he's a teacher now at at Manual. And uh, but but Noah was wonderful to me. And I was very fortunate because a lot of the kids there, I was very artsy, and I wasn't really picked on for that. You know what I mean? Like it was again the people around you motivate you and encourage you. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of people around me that liked it. You know, they liked me drawing and doing some characters and stuff like that. And then uh, I went to Seneca, and that's really where it changed. Um, you know, I thought I made a big mistake not going to manual and it ended up being probably one of the best decisions because instead of being one of like 200 artists at manual, I ended up being one of like five or six serious artists at Seneca and Seneca was a wonderful experience for me. I had a a teacher there, Cecilia Ridge and, uh, Miss Ridge, you know, called my mom and said, your son needs to go to college for art. And we're like, uh, (laughs) we didn't really even think about college period. And she's like, no, no, no. He needs to go to the Savannah college of art and design. And that's where he needs to be. And we're like, (laughs) we can't afford that. It's a private art school. What are you talking about? Like, this is insane. You know? And, uh, she did. She was like, no, you, you have to go, you have to do this. This is something that you're called to in life and you have to go and do this. And I, I had done pretty good. I mean, I won a couple awards, different art shows and, you know, constantly did the classes and I worked as an artist for the city of Louisville, got a medal from the mayor my senior year, did all that stuff. And then I went to SCAD, uh, for those that don't know what that is, it sounds like a disease, but it's really, (laughs) it's really the Savannah College of Art and Design in Savannah, Georgia. I did a summer program there. It was like six weeks and you took like three college classes. And I just knew Mitch. I mean, I just, you were surrounded by all these other artists. It was the greatest thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And my mom kind of did it to shut me up, you know, because <laughs> it was like, it was like seven grand or something. Yeah. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, how, how are we going to afford this? And my mom found a way, again, supportive people, right? You're, you're, we're going to find a way to make this happen. And it was amazing. I met my best friend there, Thomas. And uh, I remember I left the six weeks and I cried halfway home. <laughs> I so mean, like, was this like the summer between high school and college? No, it was junior, senior. Junior, it senior was between year. junior and senior, which, gotcha. was, which was probably the worst thing that could have happened to me because I came back and I was like, <laughs> high school's a college. joke. Yeah, yeah, I was like, high school, <laughs> this is a joke. I've lived in a dorm. I've taken college classes. Like you high school kids, you're still worried about, you know, this. And, and, uh, senior year was a little tough for me because I was, I was checked out. I mm-hmm. mean, and not only that, they had changed the curriculum. So I was taking five art classes, like two college classes in math and English. And it was like, that was it. Yeah. And, uh, but Miss Ridge was amazing and really encouraged me to, to do it and pursue it. And then I came back and I'm like, mom, I've, I've got to, I've got to find a way to make this happen. I remember being extremely impressed when I heard that you went to Savannah College of Art and Design because I'd heard about it from my friend Ryan, Mm. who currently lives in Savannah, Georgia, because he works for Gulfstream Aerospace. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know the Gulfstream down there. Yeah. And so we had gone down there to hang out with him, like when he was co-oping when we were early on in college. And I believe it was a little bit before I'd met you. And he was like, uh, yeah, Savannah College of Art and Design, man. It's like one of the most prestigious art schools in the entire country. And he was really excited about it. And <laughs> but just because he was excited about this new city that he was in and that was something about yep. it. And then when I met you and I was like, oh, man, I've, I've heard of this place that he's gone to school, which is really cool. And I imagine for you, this experience in college was extremely transformative. Yes. You're out of your city for the first time. You're surrounded by all these artists. What was that like? It was, I mean, it was, I mean, truly just transformative. I think you, you nailed it. I mean, good and bad, right? Because, um, I grew up with a very close family, very tight knit family. And so I felt very alone a lot, but luckily I had my best friend Thomas. So we'd met that junior, senior year and we became roommates again. 
and he he's like, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go to college here, we're living together. And having him was like having another brother. And he is he's been in my life longer now than he's been out. And so he is a brother. You know, he's in my brother's wedding. I mean, just he's family. And so having someone that's like family be there, even though you're away from your family, helped. Mm-hmm. But I was very homesick. So it was transformative because you miss so much, but you're experiencing so much. So it's a weird duality, right? Like you're like, oh, I'm so sad because I miss my brother. I miss my mom. I miss my grandparents. But I'm so happy because I'm surrounded by all these wonderful, amazing artists and people, and I'm learning so much. And it, it was, it was, it was changing. You know, I, I I played baseball my entire life, and I walked onto the baseball team at SCAD and decided not to play. And the coach was like, you know, you'll you'll have a spot. We're really excited. You're real fast. And uh, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm not going to play baseball, which is crazy for me. I mean, that was like my dad's big thing. My dad was, you know, son, you're going to play college baseball. Yeah, and you played lacrosse. I did, in, yeah. In college. And so I walked off, and I was like, I'm going to focus on my studies, and being surrounded by the artists was probably the coolest thing. But then the athletics, which came later, being able to do art and play athletics was huge. And uh, we were in the dorm one day, and Thomas looks at me and goes, "Dude, you're driving me insane. You got to get out of this room." <laughs> and uh, he again pushed you know people that push you. And I went to the park, and these you know couple guys walk up, and they're like, "Dude, you're really fast. You should come play lacrosse." And so I did my undergrad in three years in illustration and children's book illustration. And again, being around that environment was truly transformative. I mean, every student there was focused on art and creativity and everybody was unique. I mean, we had kids walking around that believed they were in the Matrix. This was back when the Matrix was, I mean, like literally like kids were wearing the full Neo get up. Yeah. You know, you had the skateboarders, you had the preppy school kids. You had, I mean, all the rejects from your high school, that was the entire universe. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, it's true. Like everybody that got picked on. In fact, we as the athletes were the ones that were picked on <laughs> because it was like, it was like, you know, reversal, right? Like yeah. in high school, like all the athletes are like, you know, the preppy cool. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is art school. We don't need athletics. Well, that's you know? what I'm interested in because like, that's an interesting, I guess it could be perceived as a juxtaposition about your personality. Um, because when I think of you, I definitely also think athlete. So we've spent a lot of time talking about like your growth as an artist up to this point. But when did you start playing sports? Oh, very, very early on. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, we played a lot of softball together. Yeah. You know, I mean, we over the years. And I, my, my whole family is very athletic, you know, especially on my dad's side. And so like my brother Zach is, I mean, we used to race each other, you know, all the time. Very, We played sports. We were gymnasts. We were baseball players. Um, athletics is just something natural. That's something that my dad put a lot of stress in was like physical prowess, you know, being able to be athletic. And I guess it's funny. I watch myself do that with my two daughters now, you know, like I'm so proud that my three-year-old can do multiple pull-ups, you know, and all this stuff. But it's, it is that duality of who I am and being able to go to SCAD and do both of those. It was the greatest dream come true, Mitch. I mean, like, you know, you, you make this list in your life of the dreams that you want to achieve. And at some point you're like, I'm, I'm not going to, that's not going to happen to me. Like I gave up my chance to play college sports. You know, I gave up my chance to do this and it's never going to happen. And all of a sudden you just keep fighting for it and things happen. And so the athletics was very early. You know, I think my brothers are better athletes than I am, but they, (laughs) I think that they never had the chances that I had. So as you mentioned very early on, is it the people around you and the opportunities you get? Yeah. Because it is. And maybe they're just more interested in it. They wanted to invest. They invested more of their time into getting better at that. At well, that. my brother did for sure. Yeah. I mean, Zach was outside. He would play basketball for hours and hours and hours and like practice baseball. But he didn't have the same coaches. He didn't get the same opportunities. And, you know, our parents, my parents were divorced. And so, you know, the, our parents didn't play a lot of the political games early on. And so Zach just didn't get a lot of the chances. But he was he was a 10 times better gymnast than I ever was. I mean, you know, Brian is so much stronger and bigger. You know, I think I was very fortunate to be athletic, but 
um, I had a lot of opportunities. I'm just really interested in, um, so I had my buddy Ethan on a while back. And when I think about Ethan, like just a man's man, like, uh, <laughs> what's the word? Alpha male. Yep. My whole life. Uh, he was on the, the Valley Sports Little League team that won the World Series championship. Oh, yeah. Yep. And then I played football with him in high school. And he was just always super strong. And his thing was like, I'm just going to knock people out. Headhunter is what he mm-hmm. called himself. Yep. He just very masculine, very powerful, very athletic. And I felt so rem- far removed from that because that's just not my the way that I do things at all. I wasn't necessarily artsy. I was more nerdy mm-hmm. um, and also just awkward. But this this duality in your personality is interesting to me. And I'm just curious, like, do you feel like it was a benefit? Do you feel like you struggled with it? Did you get made fun of because... Like when you were playing sports, did you get made fun of for being artsy? Did it make you feel like you were different? You know, I got to be honest. I'm I'm probably one of the luckiest people I know, uh, or most blessed, whatever you want to say or believe. Because, you know, I was in high school. I was I felt like pretty much everybody liked me. You know, like I was friends with the artsy kids, the nerds, the geeks. I mean, you know, I have a master's degree in comic books for God's sake. You know, I mean, like I mean, you know what I mean? Like I mean, I, I truly do. I have a master's degree in sequential art. I have a, a bachelor's degree in children's book illustration. And so, like, I'm a geek, I'm a nerd, you know, and, but then I'm artsy, but then I'm super athletic, and my wife jokes on me all the time. She's like, you're just this weird thing, like, I'm super intense and super, like, competitive, highly competitive, but then I'm, like, crying reading a book, you know, where I, like, cry in the movie theater, and, you know, people are like, dude, what's wrong with you? I'm like, stop it, I'm, I'm just really emotional right now, you know, like, and I'm very sensitive, but then I'm very competitive and masculine, like, you know, I didn't even know what lacrosse was, and I got the the first scholarship to play lacrosse at SCAD and, and ended up becoming the captain and had this wonderful experience. I even got to play professionally for one day, which is a story <laughs> in itself. But I am very competitive and very – I think a lot of times our culture says you have to be one way or the other. And I think that's somewhat problematic. And, you know, like my wife will tell you that one of the things that she fell in love with is, you know, I would be in the gym and, and just going really hard and lifting weights and, and really competitive. Or like you've seen me at softball, right? Like, I mean, very competitive – but then I'll go home and I'll just want to like hold our babies and cuddle and, you know, and sing to them and play dress up and be sweet and gentle. And, you know, you look at the older generations where men weren't allowed to show that emotion. And and honestly, I will tell you, I mean, there were times when even in high school and college, people were like, you know, which this sounds so horrible. You know, there's, you know, whatever. But they'd be like, what, what, what are you, gay? You know, exactly. and I'm like, I'm like uh, why why is that associated with that? Like, I'm highly emotional and. You know, I'm crying, but why does that, you know, I'm incredibly masculine too. Like I'll punch you in the face for, you know, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, it is a duality. But I think again, you know, and it's funny, I realize it more now talking with you that it's the people that just love you. You know, it's that supportive people that, you know, my mom would always tell me it's okay, honey. It's, it's okay to cry watching movies. You know, like I would cry watching Disney movies as a kid and my brother, you know, who's the closest person to me in my life wouldn't pick on me for it. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he just wouldn't pick on me and he'd be like, all right, let's go, let's go throw baseball, you know? And so I was allowed to be me. And honestly, Mitch, that's probably the reason I've been able to do the things I've done in my life because I've had so many people say, just be you. Yeah. Just be you and you are good enough and you are exceptional and just go be you. And I was able to go and just be me and all these great things just kept happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's not many people get that. Yeah. You know, and so I am the luckiest man in the world, truly. That That's really, that's, that's, that is an awesome opportunity that you had to feel that way because I can definitely remember feeling a strong pressure from the people around me to be very manly to be aggressive 
And I knew immediately that wasn't you. That wasn't me. Yep. So I just kind of was like, now nah, well, then I'm not going to even pursue that at all. Yep. I don't want to try to be that. Um, but now as I am growing older, I'm feeling more in tune to that. Yeah. There, there's definitely something about, uh, and it, it might just be a, a, a brain chemical. Well, I, th- I think it's, I, I think feel there's like, more to it though, bud. I mean, I really do. Like, you know, I've said this for a long time. Like uh, my, my best friend, Thomas, he calls it the lost generation. You know, we are that generation that's kind of lost. Like, who are we? What are we? Do we do the nine to five? Well, we don't, we don't want to do the nine to five, but how do you execute and do something else? You know, do we do college debt? Do we not do college debt? Well, you know, we, we're this kind of lost generation of, we want to be fulfilled, but how do you do that? You know, like you, you have to pay bills, you have to have a house, you know, you got to support your kids. And so I think one of the problems is, is we don't really know who we are as individuals, right? We're, we're kind of led down this 12 year path of education and meaningless growth and, then you get kind of caught up in this and the routine of life and you do all these things because teaching was a wonderful, fulfilling thing. It doesn't pay the bills. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have unbelievable respect for people who have been teachers for 20, 30, 40 years because I'm like, man, how do, you, how do you do it? But I think we don't allow people to learn who they are. You know, it's not really encouraged, whether it's family, you know, interactions or whether it's social interactions. I mean, you go to high school and all of a sudden a bully picks on you one time and, you know, and, and does something to you that demasculinates you. You know, and and then you're like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm, now I got to be this submissive. Well, that may not be who you are, mm-hmm. you know, but we do. We have these experiences and, you know, I always encourage people, be you. Be genuine to who you are and, and work hard and good things will happen. But it's really hard. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you had exterior pressure, you know, and, and like I had a lot of exterior pressure from my dad. You know, when I called my dad and told him I wasn't going to play baseball and I got my first All-American nod for lacrosse. Mm-hmm. And he goes, yeah, it, it wasn't baseball. Like I just I got my first All American nod. Like what do you what do you in a sport I didn't even know existed, Dad? And he's like, <laughs> it's not baseball, son. You know, and it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, you know. So you do have these external pressures, um, for sure. And I think if we just encourage people, and again, you can go too far with anything, you know. And, and like in our current culture, I think we've gone too far. The extremists have become somewhat problematic, you know. But and I don't mean I want to be clear. I don't mean that just because you think you're an apple, you're an apple. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't personally believe in that. But I do think that there's a lot of social norms that um, can be problematic, you know. And, and like in my household, you know, I cook and clean and help with the laundry and help with the dishes, and I think those are good things. Those are normal behaviors, right? Yeah. But some people are like, "Oh, that's that's a woman's work," and I'd be like, "Oh, you weren't raised by a single mom," you know what I mean? Like, you know. And so yeah. it is it is different. But that's and I, and I, I mean to go back full circle, but that is probably the biggest difference that I see in my life is I was allowed to do that, and now you're getting that. Yeah. And look how awesome this is. I mean, I'm blown away by this. I remember we had a conversation like three years ago about this. Yeah. Maybe two years ago or something. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is great, Mitch. I love this idea. And I think it's wonderful, dude. I love seeing you do it. I appreciate it. Of course, I, I love seeing it. you play the guitar too, though. Well, thank you so, so much. That's always a pleasure. Yeah. You know, that it's interesting because uh, most people probably don't think of me that way. Like, but you got to see me play a lot of music. That's totally how I see you. Yeah. That, and I have an image stuck of you as a barista at Starbucks. <laughs> that, was, well, that was like one of the only times I ever saw you outside of playing music yeah and i was like oh that's totally him like just happy joyful you know you were talking it up with every customer there yeah. it was over on uh dixie highway I yeah think. i feel in some ways like part of me still is that barista in starbucks <laughs> like when i think about some of the people who are most influential in my life the people whom i love the most it's people from that era of my life uh but you know you touched a, a little bit on the fact that you became an educator and that's something that you and i have in common mm-hmm. Did that, when did, when did you, that start? Was it something that you were thinking about in college or was it, did it just kind of open up as an opportunity after that time in your life was over? Yeah. So I had finished, I had finished my master's, um, 
I guess it right before I turned 23. That's young. Yeah, I was real, well. I was fortunate. I, so I did my undergrad, and well, I started college when I was seventeen because mm-hmm. okay. I was the, I was the young kid in public school. Gotcha. And so I started, and I'd already done college classes. So I'd done that summer program. So you're ahead, and I was ahead. I was like six or seven classes ahead, and so and then I started playing lacrosse. And so freshman year, I came home for the summer. After that, I stayed all year and trained and played, and you know, so I was pushing through very quickly, and then. um the coach called me and said, Hey, I think you should stay and do a master's. I'm like, I can't afford that. I got to go home. He's like, well, we're going to pay for it. You know, so you, you're going to stick around and play. Nice. And so then I ended up doing the master. I had two weeks to decide what my master was going to be. And I thought of my uncle James, I'm like, I'm going to do comic books. And so I did that as actually the master's program was amazing. I mean, just truly exceptional. I, I could spend a whole five hours just talking about that. But afterwards, uh, the young lady I was dating at the time, she's like, I'm not going to go to Kentucky. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to Alabama. <laughs> So where are we going to go? And I was Both like, well. very, very hillbilly sounding places. Right. Well, which was, which was not, I mean, she had a master's of I mean, architecture. You guys were in Georgia too though. But. Yeah. And we were in Georgia and uh, I said, I always love Colorado. And she goes, well, let's go ski. And so we packed up and moved to the Vail, Colorado, which I worked in an art gallery there, which was wonderful. Again, another amazing experience. I mean, again, a whole nother story of life. But then um, I got, somebody mentioned to me, they said, hey, the high school here is looking for a lacrosse coach. And I was like, oh, cool. And I'd always wanted to be a college professor. Like, that's still a dream of mine is to like, I love that world of academia and someday that's where I hope to be. But uh, then they said, well, they're actually looking for an architecture and media production teacher. And I'm like, I don't, I'm like, I, I, you know, whatever. And I went and met the assistant principal who then became the principal. He's now the superintendent. And I was blown away by this guy. And we walked around for like three hours. And I'm like, I don't have a, I don't have a teaching degree. He's like, well, you have a master's, right? I'm like, yeah. And we went through video production. I taught video production in Vail. Um, and uh, he goes, well, do you feel comfortable teaching architecture? And I was like, well, my girlfriend right now is a master of architecture. I know what a retaining wall is. Do you? And he goes, nope. He's like, all right, you got the job. You know, I mean, like, it, like, I mean, it was more than that. But well, you know, I've worked in public school. I know how it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and he's like, don't worry, we'll get you a teaching license. And so I did this alternative program and actually got another degree um, and got my teaching license. But I taught for two years you know, in the process of getting that teaching license. And it was amazing. I mean, it was absolutely exceptional. Granted, it was a very small, small school district. I was coaching, you know, um, I did a lot of great stuff. And that was a very unique experience for me. A lot of highs and lows out there because uh, I ended up splitting for that relationship and, you know, going through a lot of different things. My niece was born out there who had a lot of medical complications very early on. So not being able to be there for that. You know, my grandfather struggling with Alzheimer's, you know, Betty, my, you know, my grandma that you've met. I don't know if you ever met my grandpa or not. Mm, no, I didn't. Um, but, you know, he was struggling with Alzheimer's. And so ultimately teaching was amazing, amazing five years. And then I packed up and grandpa was struggling with Alzheimer's. I wanted to get out of the negative situation. I just packed up a Mini Cooper and drove back home, popped two tires in the Mini Cooper. It was so <laughs> packed. I drove 24 hours straight back, I think, to Louisville. And uh, wow. popped the two tires. Had to call Zach. He had a he had to wire transfer me some money so I get two new tires put on. Because and then I had to ship some boxes because the Mini Cooper wouldn't take it. Goodness and, gracious! Yep. And I drove all the way back and had no job. That's a tiny. It's a tiny vehicle. Oh, it is. And I loved it. Out in the mountains, everybody's like, "Why did you get a Mini Cooper out in the mountains?" Hey, they're Colorado? Peppy little snow. vehicles, man. Well, yeah. I mean, snow. There's days there'd be no snow on the ground. I come out and you couldn't even see the car. <laughs> You'd have to snowboard into work, uh, into the school, and uh, but then I came back and. Uh, was a property manager and a, and a nanny actually, and uh, then I got a notice that somebody was looking for a head coach at Mail, 
And they're like, okay, well, you can very easily get a permanent substitute teacher position and you can be the head coach. And I said, all right, let's do it. So I ended up being at Mail. I taught at Mail for six months. But JCPS is tough, man. I mean, yeah. coming from the school district I was out at Colorado and, and JCPS is, is, and I don't want to offend anybody, but really tough because I had a teaching license out there for art and engineer and like different uh, different fields of focus, right? Art, because I have a bachelor's and master's of fine arts. And so I could teach art and I taught architecture and multimedia. Which well, makes sense. Those, which, are, those are natural progressions right, which, off of which that. Which makes yeah. sense. And then I came to JCPS and they're like, oh, we'll give you a teaching license, which I had to fight for, by mm-hmm. the way. I had a, it was this huge process. They gave me a, a teaching certificate for engineering. And they're like, so you can teach people how to build bridges. And I'm like, yeah. no, what are, you, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, this is the only one that fits what you had. I'm like, that's so not true. That's just... Yeah. It was awful, and then the tenure teachers' roles and all this stuff, and uh, I just I just didn't want to do it. Yeah, that was the only it. one that that fit what was close to what you had that had job positions available. I guess. That they well, no, no, that was the other thing. Like only like four schools in the state of Kentucky even offered that at their school. Oh, really? And I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. Hmm. <laughs> My experiences in JCPS were it was it was a challenging place. There's just a lot of people with a lot of need, especially at the schools that I taught at, and it was a great experience. It's really informed who I am as a person and it's really informed my perspective. Um, and I'm glad that I had that experience especially as I get older and I start to really value personal accountability and realizing my own role in, um, my own experience, but also the experiences of the people around me and taking ownership of that and trying to be the type of individual who other people can count on. And, uh, you know, it's really hard. It's, it's it's hard for me to try to, to to rise up to that because I feel like that's something that I didn't think about. I didn't have the opportunity to think about when I was younger. And I, I see people whom I really appreciate who, who also have those same values. But because they haven't had the experiences that I've had in education, they haven't seen what it looks like to be a person who's never had anything like right. that modeled in their life. Absolutely. And I feel like I've been that in some ways because of the challenges that my dad had when I was younger like what I've been a person who had to look for a model of a person who's seeking after personal growth who's trying to improve and so I really understand what it's like for these young kids who don't they look around them everywhere and they don't see it anywhere and maybe they see it in some teachers but they see that teacher five hours a week no absolutely and that's I agree I mean I think it's, it's the toughest job I ever had to do it right to yeah. teach right. I mean, there's a lot of teachers who do just kind of go through the motions and I get mm-hmm. it. But those teachers, and that's why, I mean, I could name, we've already talked about a number of them. I mean, they, they changed my life. I mean, truly from elementary, middle and high school, all the way up to college, they, they completely changed my life and they are incredibly powerful people. And it's very taxing, very tiring to do it right is the hardest job in the world, in my opinion, and one of the most undervalued in the United States. I mean, the saying, I've always said this, I, I used to lecture about this all the time. The saying in the United States is teacher, those who can't teach right those who can't cut it in their field teach and i always used to say no those who are exceptional teach because they're able to articulate it in a way that other people can replicate it and then do it themselves and move forward a lot of people are really really good at things like athletes a lot of really great athletes are some of the worst coaches yeah because they don't know how to articulate it back for somebody else to replicate it and yes there are a lot of not great teachers out there well when you pay the bottom of the barrel you do you don't get a lot of competition and when you, you have it. two crowded rooms and and you know 90% of teaching is parenting nowadays and and it's problematic when it should be subject matter expertise and testing there's just a lot of problems with our educational system and nobody wants to see a 
to, to do a damn thing about it. Yeah. We all know this, and nobody wants to do it. And so you have people like me and you and other people whom I've heard you have on your podcast that are passionate about education, passionate about students. You did it right. You you were feeling, you, were, you, know, you had a lot of empathy for these students who were looking for role models and guidance, but they burn us out. Yeah. You last four or five years, and, and then you're gone because you just don't want to do it anymore. That's mm-hmm. not the it's not the financial income I want to do. Or I was spending so much of my own personal money on on tools and materials like elementary school teachers do. Yeah. Or it's just draining. It's just emotionally draining. When I look at people like Hans, who I had on a couple of weeks, or I have so much respect for him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know how much effort he puts into that. And I also know the type of role model and type of leader that he is. And... I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to know people like that in my life. Yeah, he's he's changing people's lives. Yeah. I mean, and, and it truly is. You know, I mean, that's you are actively every day affecting people's lives and, and setting them up for future success. And that's like, I remember, uh, I'll share a quick story about a teacher. And, and I apologize, I can't remember her name. And it's so embarrassing. Senior year of high school, I, I struggle with math and spelling and always have. And I, I don't know if, you know, I've, I've shared a lot of stories about this, but um, grammar was a problem. Grammar for me was a problem. Like I never really grasped like structural, the English language is very difficult and I never grasped the concepts of structure, sentence structure and all this stuff, but I love telling stories. And it's funny, I, you know, I brought a book to you today, which is like a novel, which is scary, but she came to me and she goes, she pulled me aside. She didn't embarrass me in front of everybody. And she's like, your spelling is atrocious. And she's like, your grammar is atrocious. She's like, did you not really learn all these things? I was like, well, I never really had to. I kind of got by by doing a lot of these things with without being grammatically correct. And she goes, okay, well, I I love what you write. She's like, I love what you write. She's like, I read your stories, and they're completely different than anybody else's. And she's like, you're so creative. You're so, again, talking about influential people that mm-hmm. motivate you. And um, she literally goes, I'm going to grade you on how unique your story is. Like, if you can tell me a story I've never heard before, but then you're going to have to do weekly little assignments to, to work on your grammar. She's like, I'm going to grade you on the story. But then you have to promise me that you'll do these weekly things. Completely unique as a teacher, right? I mean, how one, she should have been grading me on the grammar stuff. But she was, and she was exceptional at that. And senior year, I'd already checked out, right? I was going to college, and I was doing all these things. Well, my master's degree, I took a writing class for sequential art. And I told the professor, I was like, I don't really want to write comics. Like, that's not what I want to do. And he goes, well, what do you want to do? I was like, I'd love to write novels someday. And he goes, the only way I had confidence to tell him that was because I had her. And she told me that you're telling really cool stories. He goes, great. I want you to start writing a novel. He goes, I'll grade you on that. And fast forward like six years later, I had just moved back to Louisville. I'm at the St. James Art Fair and I recognize her. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I couldn't think of her name. Couldn't remember. But I was there with my mom. And I'm like, mom, I got to go. I'll be back. I'll be back. And I lost her because St. James <sighs> is like huge, right? Yeah, and I lost tons her. Tons of people. Tons of people. Really cool event. If you haven't been, everybody go. And she wasn't a vendor. I'm, she's just there. She's just there. And I'm like, oh no, oh no. Well, luckily, she's like 6'1". She's okay. a very tall lady. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to find her. I got to find her. And my mom's like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, don't worry, mom. I, I, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll find you. And of course, my mom isn't really tech savvy. I'm like, I'll just call your cell phone. Just hold on to your cell phone. I'll find you. I think I walked around for like an hour and finally found her. And I went up to her and I was like, I know you don't remember me. And she goes, Seth Jones. <laughs> you know, instantly you're like, oh my gosh, it's been 15 years. And I started crying. Again, I'm highly emotional, right? And I started crying and I said, I just want to thank you because because of you, I had the confidence to write three children's books, to do a webcomic, and to write a novel. And without you having told me that I was good enough, I never would have done it. And she started crying. And I'm like... I just want to make sure you know that uh, you changed my life, and I'm sure you've changed others. 
And it was just really powerful, right? Because you you realize that those people do, even something so silly like that, you know, makes a big difference. And uh, come to find out, like, you know, she had been having a rough year and, you know, and all that stuff. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, you know, tell people, you know, tell people, tell people how great they are to you and, and the things that they've done for you, because you don't know what that does for them. But teachers are exceptional. I, I digress because they, there are some bad teachers. I always, I always said this when I was teaching, there's three types of teachers, right? There's the teachers you remember because they were awful, right? <laughs> I, I think of Harry Potter, like I love Harry Potter, you know, Professor Umbridge, right? You know, the little pink character that's evil, looks like a toad. Everybody remembers her and she's so relatable. Everybody thinks she's worse of a villain than Voldemort, right? Yeah. Because everybody had a teacher like that mm-hmm. and everybody can relate to that experience. So you remember the really awful teachers. Then you have the middle teacher, the one that just kind of, you don't really remember. I remember I was in the class. I don't really remember them. But then you have the teachers that you remember because they changed your life. And you get to make a choice as a teacher, which teacher are you going to be? And I think that's resonated with me a lot in all of life for me. Which level of excellence do I want to achieve? Do I want to be remembered because I was crappy? Do I just kind of want to go through the motions? Or do I want to be remembered as something exceptional? And ultimately, that's changed now that I have kids because I just care about my kids remembering that I was exceptional. Yeah. Forget everybody else. I just want my daughters <laughs> on my deathbed to be like, wow, dad, you were awesome. There's so much there that I, I want to unpack. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, but, I get going so much. It's But the you know. main thing that I want to talk about, and I think, you know, you had a lot of these extremely transformative experiences and you had the opportunity to be interacting with some unique types of individuals like that professor who's an art teacher who lets you submit a novel right i mean that's an amazing interesting thing well i imagine it would have been a comic book right yes it was a script it was a writing class right so instead of doing like you have a very specific style of writing for for sequential art for Mm -hmm. comic books and the format and everything so that you can hand it off to an artist and so i was like you know i don't i'm I'm not really interested in writing comics he's like well what do you want to do and i'm like wow you know yeah yeah that's so cool. But but even to be given that opportunity and then to do something with it, it says something unique about you as an individual. And you're being very modest and, and <laughs> you don't want to say that. But, I mean, I could say that. There are students who I could say that to. What would you like to do? Okay, well, then by all means, do that yourself. And what they, they would, they, but they would not take the accountability to actually produce anything. It's, to be driven. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a drive, it's, and it's interesting, and I don't know where it comes from, but I feel like there has been times in my life where I didn't have it, and then there have been times in my life we do. where I do. Yeah. Well, I remember um, not too long ago, obviously we're going through a very unique time, but I remember I saw a post that you made, and you're like, you know, been a unique time, but I'm getting back into the podcast, and I could feel the energy in that post, right? Which is a unique thing. You and I talk quite a bit about the nuance that's lost in texting or writing and things mm-hmm. of that nature, but you could just feel your energy. And I'm not going to lie. I was actually like, man, I really hope he asked me on yeah. someday. You know, I'm like, I'm like, have I done enough cool stuff to be asked on? You know? And I was like, I was like, oh, I hope he does. But you could sense your energy and you do go through fluxes, right? Ask my, ask my wife. I mean, she sees me at my lowest, you know, should, gosh, honey, I don't, I don't want to do comics anymore. My artwork's awful. You know, um, I, I'm just not good at my job. You know, all, I mean, you go through highs and lows, but I think intrinsic motivation, right? Being internally motivated is huge. And, you know, people say you don't know where that comes from. I think it comes from a lot of areas and, and I'll explain a, two of mine if, if you don't mind. One is I got to see those people I've referenced, my, my brother, my mom, my uncle James, I got to see all these amazing, at least in my eyes, exceptional people. And I remember uncle James wanted to go to art school and it, it didn't happen. 
And I remember going, he's the most exceptional artist I've ever seen. And he didn't get a chance to go. How lucky am I that I get to go? I sure as hell better make the most of this. I better be so grateful that I'm going to make it happen. My brother Zach didn't get on the the you know the All Star teams. Zach didn't have the great coaches. He didn't get to have a lot of the opportunities I have. He didn't get a chance to play a sport in college that was blossoming. I better make the most of it, right? Because he didn't get that chance. I watched my mother work a nine to five that she did to supply us with a lot, uh, you know, a lifestyle and a livelihood and to take care of us. I don't want to you know, disgrace her efforts and not be happy. You know, um, my best friend Thomas has a lot of unique situations and he's allowed me to do a lot of things. I don't want to discourage him. So a lot of it is I'm very fortunate that I'm percep- pers- I have a perspective that I gotten to do a lot of chances. I'm not going to miss them. And I think so many times we're scared and we don't jump at it. You know, it's, it's like when I was teaching, I called my brother. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do it. You know, it's like, hey, do you want to be a goalie? I didn't even know what lacrosse was. Do you want to be a goalie? Does that mean I get to play the whole game? Yes. Okay, I'm doing it. <laughs> you know, um, you have a chance to go to art school. Are you going to do it? Yes, I'm absolutely going to do it. You know, I think, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, I don't lie. But if you ask me, can I do something? And I go, well, I know a little bit about it. I'm not an expert. But you you tell me you need it in six weeks. I have six weeks to become exceptional at it. And by God, I'm going to become exceptional mm-hmm. at it. I'm not going to miss the opportunity out of fear. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to make it happen. And I think. A lot of that is the people around you. You want to do right by them, and you want to have them appreciate that you see that. But then I think intrinsic motivation is the other thing. You are who you surround yourself with. I mean, how bad do you want – if you want something bad enough, you will find a way to make it work. People ask me all the time, when, how do you draw? When, when do you have time to draw? You have a wife and two kids. I work 55 hours a week, 60 hours a week. Well, I don't go home and binge watch TV. I go home and draw. You know, or if my wife and I are watching Parks and Rec, I pull out the iPad and I do a comic. You know, Mitch, it's it's Saturday. You're spending three <laughs> hours with me doing your podcast because you want it. Yeah. If you want something bad enough, you got to find a way to make it happen. Doesn't mean it's going to be the results that you think or hope for, but your intrinsic satisfaction, your internal satisfaction, will be great, and you'll feel better. Everything about your life is better when you do the things that you're passionate about and you love. I think you nailed it right there with passion. That's where it really comes from from me. Like the things that I love to do, having these conversations, and then in the process of of creating something and allowing other people to listen to them. Um, it's 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 kind of like two sides of the same coin for me. I, I'll, I'm super excited about the chance to listen to us talk again when I get to edit this and trying to produce something uh, that that other people would never get the chance to hear otherwise. Right. Um, You're sharing a lot, man. And it's 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 so much fun. I just enjoy it so much that I'm gonna make sure I do it. I'm gonna make sure that I do it. It's funny because I'm I'm watching you, and it's amazing to see you kind of internalize things and how your mind's working as that facilitator. And it almost reminds me of when I'm doing a drawing. Really? Yeah, it is. It's because you know you're you're thinking of. You're engaging with me, but you're thinking of the next question. You're thinking of how to connect things. You're already thinking of editing. You're already thinking where this narrative is going to go. And that's exactly how I see a piece of artwork, right? Like you start with an eye, but then you already have an idea of these other things. And I think it's interesting because you and I were talking upstairs about, you know, that creativity. You know, how does that come through? It can come through in so many different ways. You know, and I think what you're doing here is incredibly creative. It's almost, it's like a composition. It's like a musical composition. And of course, I always see you as playing guitar. And so I'm like, he's, he's, you know, formatting this piece of music right now, you mm-hmm. know? And I think it's really neat. It's fun for me. 
to watch you sit there. You know what I mean? It's really fun because I'm not really doing anything, but I'm watching you and I'm like, I wonder if that's what people look at me when I'm drawing. Maybe. You know, because people are like, I love to watch you draw. And you know, that it is, it's, it's interesting because you start with a, a plan in your mind for what you want the thing to be. And then you start to, you begin acting in such a way that you hope the results are going to be what you imagine. Mm-hmm. And often they're not. Oh yeah, and you have to surprises. De- you have to decide what it is that you need to change or what it is that you need to do differently in order to achieve the result you're looking for. And then for me, a big part of the process has been the end result that I'm looking for changing and becoming something else. I realize, no, actually, this is what I want from this mm-hmm. and the growth. It's been a really, really fun fun thing to pursue. And and that's the best thing about it is the joy comes from the process. You know, you hear people talk about that a lot, where how the joy comes from the process. That's true about this for me. Um, that doesn't mean to say there are times that I don't want to do it. Oh, 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 <laughs> dude, there's times I'm like, God, I don't want to go and draw. Right. I mean, I'm like, I really don't want to go and do this. You know, and, and then, but consistency is, is, is incredibly important. That's what you're saying I upstairs. Mean, yeah, consistency is incredibly important. You know, you just got to keep going, got to keep moving. You got to get through it. I mean, there's times when I'm like, oh, this was the worst comic ever. And then I'm like, nope, all right, two more days, I got another one to do. You know, and and consistency is key. I mean, it is because it is, now complacency can kill you. If you just become complacent and you just keep producing that bad experience stuff, that's bad. But but keep moving forward, keep your feet going, you know, and uh I think it's huge. I love it. I, and, I've, and I've told you upstairs, I've listened to quite a few of the podcasts early on and even some of the more recent ones. Dude, I love them. I think they're, they're awesome. They're great. I appreciate that a lot. All right, guys, we'll get back to just friends in just a second. But what kind of friend would I be if I didn't do a quick ad for my man, Seth, during his very own podcast episode? Guys, you may have heard me say it before, but I definitely could not say it enough. I am a huge fan of everything that Seth creates. His webcomic series, Ragamuffins, is a total breath of fresh air. It's always good for a little chuckle. And once you realize that the characters are based off of Seth and his family, it's just, it's hard not to love them, if I'm being perfectly honest. And the stuff that Seth is doing in his new art series, Animalia, is freaking cool, guys. I'm serious. I know I've talked about the orangutan piece before, but I cannot say it enough. I'm blown away by it. Sarah squealed when she saw the giraffe. I mean, it's really cool shit, guys, and you need to check it out. So if you haven't already checked out Seth's Facebook page or his Instagram page, it's Seth A. Jones on Instagram, capital S, period, capital A, period, Jones on Facebook. And if you just want to check out the Kickstarter page, guys, just go to kickstarter.com and search Animalia, an art series by Seth A. Jones. You're going to be glad you did it, guys. It's really cool stuff. You can purchase a piece for your very own, one of a kind, from a local Louisville artist and a really cool guy. Definitely won't regret it. So everybody needs to check all of that stuff out. Kickstarter.com and search Animalia, an art series and show our boy Seth some love. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. You you also have so much stuff that you've produced. And like, so, you know, one of the main things that I think about when I think about you is ragamuffins. Okay. And you had told me that that started in college, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, 
uh, you've met my cousin Chris, right? Yeah. So again, my family's very close. Everybody tells me that Chris and I are similar. Uh, you guys are kind yeah. of the curly hair, the bubbly personality. I, I mean, you know, all this stuff. And um, I was very fortunate. Obviously, Hannah's like a sister to me, and my three boy cousins. Uh, but these guys grew up the same age as us. And Chris was um, a huge influence on me. You know, just fun. He, he's just the sweetest, funnest guy ever. And he got a nickname called Bubbles. And for, for multiple reasons, his bubbly personality, he had this big bubble fro, um, and then the monkey from Dragon Ball Z, Bubbles. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was a huge inspiration to me. And so in college, uh, when I was doing my sequential art, I was focusing more on cartoons like Peanuts and Calvin and Hobbes and things like that, less than DC and Marvel, right? Like I was a huge fan of those, but really Peanuts and, and Calvin and Hobbes were like the two biggest influences of me. And at this time... Web comics had just started booming, so there's a there's a a, um, a web comic called Player versus Player, and he's considered the the grandfather, Scott Kurtz, and uh, he was one of the first ones to actually web based. But then you had Penny Arcade, and you had a covers come on board. Penny Arcade is one of the most prominent now because they have their Penny Arcade expos, but uh, it just started kind of booming. And so in college, in the sequential art department, there was a lot of credibility to this, and I was like, well, that's that's really what we do. And I had done my bachelor's in illustration and to negate a lot of those prerequisites for sequential art because they didn't want me to do sequential art because I didn't have a bachelor's degree in sequential art. I see. So I had to write a thesis and I said, well, I want to take the marriage of illustration and sequential art and find the happy balance. I created my character's epis, which is based off the word epiphyte. An epiphyte is a cousin to a parasite. Epiphytes live in harmony with their host. So I created these little mm. bitty creatures called epis that live in trees and I, I did three books on them. I did a webcomic on them and merchandise, join the Epiverse, um, you know, join the Epidemic, right? And like all, yeah, right. You know, I did like, and that, and I went to conventions and I, I've sold a couple thousand books of them. I, I'd like to revisit them someday. But during my last year there, um, I had really gotten back into Charlie Brown. Okay. And Chris just seemed like the perfect character to me. And I, I have this original sketch, and I did this sketch of of Bubbles. I, I didn't even call him Chris. He was he was Bubbles mm -hmm. as a character. And I started doing uh, characters of Bubbles. And then my brother Zach is kind of an asshole at times. And so you had the comic relief of Bubbles, and then you had this, you know, the harder edge character of Zach. And these were my two characters. And I was like, okay, well, what am I going to call it? And uh, I was thinking and thinking and thinking, and I, I remember the word ragamuffin which is not a reggae muffin, but a ragamuffin is a dirty, ill-clothed, ill-mannered child. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that sums up these characters. <laughs> and I was like, and I think it's kind of catchy, ragamuffins. And so I actually, I did. I started that in college, but then when I went to Colorado, there was a local little paper there. And again, you know, we, we talked about being intrinsically motivated. So I started doing some of these comics and my, my students were like, these are fun. And I'm like, thanks. And the Vale Daily was a local little paper and they didn't have any comics. So I called up the editor-in-chief. I said, hey, I'd like to give you my comic for free every week. Would you be interested? And he's like, I don't know. You know, we don't we don't have a comic section. I'm like, you're right. You don't have a comic section. So would you like a strip for free every month? And they're like, well, I don't know. So I sent them like six. And they're like, okay, yeah, we'll put your comic in here for free every single month. <laughs> nice. And so I was like, all right. So I did that for almost like 18 months. And the comics were bad, bitch. I mean, they were, <laughs> they were so bad. I don't. I don't know if I agree because I could, I, I distinctly remember early ragamuffins because I remember meeting you and going back and reading them and I can see the characters in my head. Um, I can see Zach with his pointy hair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I can see Bubbles. I definitely can see how you would look back on your old work and think that it's 
it's doo doo. But I look back on it and I'm like, I'm like, this is fun. I I remember and and also how familiar the characters were to me because right. I know those people. Right. Um, but just distinctly different enough to be entertaining. It was awesome. Well, and, and it's funny because we talk about tech all the time. Yeah. You, you know, you and I talk about the advancements of technology and. So all of those were hand-drawn, hand-inked, hand-lettered, then sent into the computer, scanned, and, and everything was done traditionally. Well, now everything I do is on the iPad. Mm-hmm. And so it's much faster, much more efficient. When I travel with work, I can do it. And you're right. So then, you know, Ragamuffins actually was pretty successful. I mean, I had a good readership and a good group at the time. Then I moved back to Louisville. You know, things happen, things go on. And I was looking to get back into Ragamuffins because I love it. It's intrinsically something I just enjoy doing. Well, then all of a sudden the ragamuffins become my children, right? You know, the dirty, (laughs) ill-clothed, ill-mannered kids become my own kids, you know? I see it. And and so now it's it's ragamuffins has become more of... It's interesting. I get more messages from people. I think it's in over 50 countries now. Now. And I get messages from people all over the world, and they're like, this is so (laughs) much my daily life. They're like, this is me as a dad. Like, you know, like one of my favorite comics that laughs is I'm, I'm taking a shower and my little daughter walks in and I like freak <laughs> oh out gosh, because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, and I realize that I'm never going to be able to wear, or I'm never going to be able to walk around mm-hmm. the house naked anymore. You know, it's like, you know, I have to wear shorts from this mm-hmm. point forward until they're gone. And I get messages like, I didn't know that either until my daughter turned five, you know? And, and so it's very relatable, I think, for a lot of people our age that are having marriages or kids or like, you know, like, you know, the relationship I have with my pillow, my <laughs> wife jokes about all the time because I love my pillow more than I love her, you know? And so it's, uh, it, it is very relatable, I think, but it's funny how that changes. And I will tell you, I'm more inspired now by my kids than I ever was with mm-hmm. anything else. Like there's never a lack of ideas you know, because they're just, it's always, I mean, I could probably do 50 comics every single day just because there's so much to it, you know? And so it is something I absolutely love, but it, it has changed a lot since back, oh my gosh, 2000, 2007 was when the first sketch was done. So 13 years. And I know you were also producing fine art over that time. I've seen some of your shows. Yeah. So, um, well, in SCAD, they make you, they make you have a senior show mm-hmm. and I was able to have three pieces in the senior show, which was cool because you had to submit and like pretty much every student got at least one. And then you could submit and they could give you up to three spots. So I was able to, I was able to get all three of my spots. I won a couple of poster competitions and some other things and, uh, had a great mentor, Jorge Alvarez, who's a, who's a painter. And, uh, again, people influencing you, right? Like mentors and coaches and teachers. And, uh, he was really pushing me to do more fine art. And, uh, I ended up taking all of my electives with Jorge and did all of them there a hotel there that had just opened up and they were looking to have not not necessarily events of certain things in their big lobby like the giant lobby so i kind of said hey i'd like to do an art show and they're like well because i was working at the gallery at the time this is before i became a teacher and they're like well you know we're not really looking for artists there's a lot of galleries i was like no 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 i want to have an art show where i do a live painting during the lobby like in the lobby and she's like oh that's interesting so i packed up all the pieces i'd done and i sold like seven pieces and everybody was blown. They're like, this is great. This is awesome. Blah, blah, blah. Well, then I fell into teaching and coaching and I started working on a couple of series out there, did some independent, um, work for some people, sold some pieces. And then I came back to Louisville and that's when I started the angels and souls. The angels and souls series It took about four years to do. And, uh, I actually was able to have it at 502 winery. And which was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was there. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. It was beautiful. I had my own labels made for the wine. I know. Oh my and gosh. Basically, I went in and I said, "Hey, look, you. I'll bring in this, and you guys can keep all the liquor sales." And uh, I sold ninety percent of the series, dude. That, I know. I remember you yeah. talking about. 
Well, one of the things that I think is really interesting um, is that you display the process. And right. I think people really appreciate that. So, I mean, it's one thing to look at this amazing piece of art, but if you don't have any clue how that was created, step by step, like people can watch you create they connect something. with it, I think. Yeah, they connect with they, it. Yeah, and they feel like big. they were part of it. Yeah. You know, they feel like they were part of that process. And that was something I learned from that Angels and Souls series. Yeah. Like people would come up and they would purchase these pieces. They didn't just like the piece resonated with them. Mm-hmm. But with, they wanted to spend about an hour with me talking about it. They wanted to feel connected with what it was, how it was made, all of these things. And uh, that was really eye-opening to me because I'm like, man, it was it was different because with those pieces, I had stories written for each piece. And I had a couple of people go, I just want the stories. So that's when I made that book that has all the stories in mm-hmm. it and all the pieces because people are like, the story about the Satan you know, as one of the angels was, they're like, oh, I love this. This is amazing. Well, somebody already bought the piece and they're like, well, we want the story. Where, where can we get the story? Yeah. I'm like, well, all right, I'll, I'll have to, you know, print the book and do all this stuff. But it was really interesting because then I was like, all right, I'm done with that series. And I had done a couple of other things. I'm like, I, I want to start a new one. And that's where the Animalia series came in. And it's, it's such a funny story because <laughs> that's how I met my wife, uh, is I was looking for models. I knew I wanted to do larger format pieces and the connection between humans and animals and like, you know, they're, it's, it's this whole concept. And uh, I had done a couple of test studies. I did a, a test study of an owl, a test study of a deer, and a test study of some legs. And all three pieces sold like that. I mean, they sold, which was really different for me, right? Because normally I would just kind of collect them. And mm. then I had some friends call and go, oh my gosh, I love this. Is this something you could create for us? And I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm on to something here. I like, this is fun. And I really like it. And so I, I kept moving forward and all of a sudden I had 15 to 20 different pieces. And that's when I was like, all right, I'm going to do another show, mm-hmm. right? I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I'm good. I've got a whole bunch of sketches. I've got a whole bunch of different things. And then COVID happened. Yeah, man, COVID's lame. COVID happened. And I'm sitting there going, well, when's the next time I'm ever going to have a show? You know, I don't know when that's going to be. We, I mean, because I had, I mean, I think I had 350, 400 people come through 502 Winery. Mm-hmm. When am I ever going to get to have that again? And I had a whole bunch of friends here. I've got a lot of really talented friends um, you know, Matt Folks is a producer. He does he does a lot of the music videos for a lot of the big names here, Houndmouth and some others. And he's like, dude, I've got I'm really excited. I've got this venue. I know there's a couple people. Like, this is gonna be amazing for your show. So again, you surround yourself with people that are excited for you. And I'm like, Yeah, yeah, we're ready. 2020 is gonna be it. Like, I've got a couple p- pieces to finish. Let's do it. And let's have a because f- it's only one night. I don't do a typical gallery. Like, I don't put these in galleries for 30 days or whatever. I just rent out a venue, have people come and drink and have fun and talk about it and just whatever. It's just it's just fun. I'm very fortunate to have a good career that these are things I get to just do because I love it. And uh, Matt and a couple of people are like, yeah, this is great. Well, let's do it. COVID happened. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I'm ready to move on. You know, I'm ready to move on to the next series. And so a friend of mine recommended, he goes, hey, man, you know, Kickstarter is a really cool venue. He's like, discount the pieces. He's like, because people can't see them in person. And you don't get that same energy as being in an event. And he's like, do the Kickstarter. And I'm like, oh, that's a that's a really cool idea. I'm like, I've never seen anybody do Kickstarter like that for fine arts. So that's really where I was like, you know what? Let's see what happens. And if nothing else, I'll just print the books. Yeah. You know, so that way everybody can have a book. Well, another thing about it, though, is is your Instagram. Because you can see a lot uh, of these pieces being made. Right, the process. And so the process is there so people can have that digital connection. They can go to this place and see that this piece that they're going to be purchasing Right. The whole process of it being created. And it's beautiful to look at. Thank you. What led to the choice to do them on wood? 
So, um, yeah, the, the concept of Animalia was about the natural connection between humans and animals. And the whole series is called Animalia because the classification, the scientific classification, humans are part of that Animalia classification. And so I love graphite. Well, graphite's very organic. It's very natural. And I was like, okay, you know what? Paper is too, but paper is still man-made and, and wood is too in a certain way. But I was like, I really like this idea of, right, the very natural organic wood being used with organic graphite and so on and so forth. So I did those test pieces. I was like, you know, this is very, uh, it felt very natural as a whole, just having the animals drawn on wood with graphite, natural inks. And then I incorporate metal leafing, right? Copper, gold, and silver metal leafing. And so it just kind of became this whole thing of this feels very organic and natural. And, and obviously the wood texture just, I think, looks amazing. And so I really started diving into that. I'm like, that's what I want. You know, just this bare bones, graphite on wood, very organic, because the whole concept is we have positive and negative interactions with animals. And so the positive pieces, each piece has a good and a bad. And so they're usually fully nude in the positive piece. They're usually very peaceful, um, kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? You know, just very organic. Um, there's metal leafing, but it's not really intrusive. And then the negative pieces are they've usually killed the animal and like wearing it, you know, as a headdress mm -hmm. or they're covering themselves. The nudity is now bad, right? And so they're covering, they're using the owls. They've plucked the feathers from the owls and they're wearing them as trying a scarf, to hide it. trying yeah. to hide it and, and using it, you know, the fallen version of Adam and Eve at mm -hmm. that point. And so they're aggressive, but they're not. It's more, you know, subtle, I think. Like there's the bear piece where you have a mom bear and a baby bear and it's a triangular composition and it's very peaceful. Well, in the negative you realize that she's killed mama bear and plucked all of her teeth, you know, and like wearing them as a necklace to cover her breast. And so it's, it's, uh, and then, and then you see the metal leafing and now all of a sudden the metal leafing becomes intrusive, mm -hmm. right? It's invading this space. It makes you feel awkward. And I love that duality of seeing that. And so the wood I think was the foundation, right? Like, you know, that's the foundational level, which is the foundation of the piece too, right? Everything's on top of that. And so the wood is the foundation for the artwork in the sense that it is very natural, organic from the ground up. What happens after that foundation can be positive or negative, but the wood is the foundation of what we are. It's very earth. It's very grounded. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And you've put so much thought into this underlying narrative behind all of these pieces. And I remember that from the Angels and Souls. And, I, and you know, I'm not as familiar with it in this as much, but I have seen all the pieces and I know like the positive and negative pieces. Um but I'm also just as impressed and as kind of like drawn to the prints that you do oh, as right. well. I think I told you back in high school, I, I did some programs, different art programs. And one of the things was to go to the zoo and draw. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not. So I, I love the great apes, right? I think, you know, the connection and the emotion and the eyes and just, you know, everything. They're, they're so close to you. Yeah. Are. I mean, it's just amazing. And so I go to the orangutan here in the Louisville Zoo go to the little zoo, support the little zoo. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, conservation is wonderful too. And uh, I went to the orangutans and nobody was there. It was a hot, hot, hot summer day. School, or I think school is still in session. So it must've been early, early, early summer, like May, maybe May, but it was still really hot. So there was no, no kids. There wasn't a lot of people. This was also, God, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15, yeah, 18 years ago. And so I sat down and nobody was there and I got to draw one of the orangutans. And they literally hung upside down for like 25 minutes and they were watching me draw. I mean, watching me draw. And it was amazing because then, then I like finished it and I like, because I'm sappy, and I like turn around and show it to them and they like pointed at the glass. Because you're drawing them I was so drawing they recognized them. it. I swear yeah. they did. And so like, I'm like having this moment 
you know, with this orangutan. And then the, the trainer comes out and they're like, oh, you know, I think it was a he, he likes your drawing, you know? And I'm like, oh, you're just, you know, these, they're amazing people, wonderful people. And I'm like, you're just saying that. And they're like, no, no, really? Like, look. And like, he's like upside down leaning to like see the drawing. And I was like, well, I don't know if you're allowed to do this or not, but here, take this. And I was like, you know, give it to them and whatever. And it, they were very sweet to me. I was a kid, but it always made me connect with drawing animals. And so, you know, I have the orangutan, I've drawn the chimps and um, all the different, the, like, but the bison is one that people like really, really love. Yeah, that one's and, beautiful. And, and I just, I do enjoy drawing uh, animals. And also too, I like the texture. You know, animals have a lot, a lot of texture. To a lot them. of fur. A lot of fur, a lot of different, you know, horns are very shiny, very fluid. And so you get a lot of unique textures that you can put on the wood and you can do in the drawings. And uh, a lot of people like the prints because they're very accessible. You know, it's it's hard when you can go to Walmart or Target and buy a print of something for 20 bucks, and then you have an artist that wants $150 for original. You know, especially as young people, it's it's hard to invest that kind of money in something. And so I, I try to always give options. The, the greatest feeling in the world is when somebody's like, I love this. And they're like, I'd like for this to be in my home because they have a piece of you, right? You know, I know you've talked to a lot of other artists, like musicians and stuff that are like, you know, that's my soul. It is who I am. But it's very true. And so the greatest compliment is when somebody's like, oh my gosh, I love this. This speaks to me. I'd like to look at this. I'd like to have this in my home. And then a lot of times they go, oh, I can't afford $500. You know, I can't, aff- it's just not reasonable. And sometimes you do, sometimes you have patrons that are like, oh my gosh, yeah, $1,500, boom, done, ship it to you know Seattle for me or whatever. And that happens a lot. But I always want people to have something. You know, I want them to be able to, if it resonates with you, if it speaks to you, have it, take it. You know, and, and a lot of times you, you've seen me, I'm like, here, you, you love this piece, take it. You know, have this because you having a piece of me is amazing, right? It is the coolest thing ever. And it's very gratifying and it makes you want to keep doing it. And so I try to do the prints. I do the books. You know, I want everybody to have something. Yeah. And uh, I think that's how, you know, there's that piece of you that wants to live on when you're gone. Right. And if I can tell really cool stories, write books, do comics, make somebody laugh. If I can do the fine art and have it in somebody's home, it's it's a really great feeling. Yeah. So I definitely am going to encourage people to check that stuff out because well, I've thanks. appreciated it for such a long time. Th- throughout the creative, because for many people who are going to be consuming this stuff, they they just resonate with the piece. Mm-hmm. But you understand that you have a connection with the piece. A part of you went into the creation of it. So Absolutely. that person is resonating with you also. And I imagine that, you know, a person wanting to, to, to have that and to keep that does kind of make you have that feeling of like immortality, like you're passing stuff on. Absolutely. And I think that's a part of what we are as people. And I think it's a big part of what, uh, drives us or motivates us as humans to procreate and to make more of us. And you've talked in this conversation about like how impacted you were by your children and like becoming a parent. So what was that process like for you as a person who is, I consider to be introspective and, and thoughtful, like what was that process like of becoming a parent? Well, you're way too kind to me, but uh, <laughs> no, it, it's, you know, I've always, I've always wanted children. And obviously, you know, I have, you know, my parents were divorced from very early. So you, you can get into the whole psychology of everything. I would but love I, to, cause that's my, that's well, what you I'm know, interested I mean, in. It, it, well, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, I struggled with, you know, I always wanted the affection of my dad and the acceptance of my dad. My mother was very nurturing, very motherly, just very kind. And it's funny because I'm a very motherly father. Like I'm the nurturer, I'm the consultative one, I'm the cuddler, I'm the, the gentle one. And uh, my wife is definitely the disciplinarian, right? You know, and 
Um, but I'm also that manly father that wants to prove, you know, men are good, not bad, right? And you can be strong, you know, and, and then provide and all those things. But become a father, becoming a dad was probably the greatest thing ever. I mean, you know, marrying my wife, meeting my wife is exceptional, but becoming a dad is, is amazing. And it's funny you talk about the creative side and leaving that legacy, which is why ragamuffins, I believe, changed. Yeah. Right. My whole concept in life has changed from being selfish and my friends and family. Now, all of a sudden, it's no longer about Seth. It's about Everly and Cora. And how can I be a better Seth for them? Right. And then obviously that reflects my artwork. So it's just to me, it's just a very natural progression that ragamuffins becomes about them and becomes about me and my wife being parents to them. And the emotion of having a kid and, and it's not so much that I created that, right? You hear this all the time, like, oh, look, honey, look what we created. Um, you know, it, it's not about that. It was more so I have a chance to paint pictures in life for them, right? And I mean that very metaphorically, which is I look back on my childhood and I am so blessed all the time. Like I have these paintings in my mind of my grandparents' house. I have these paintings, like my story about Uncle James drawing Venom and Carnage for me and changing my life. I have, you would say memories, but to me, they're very visual, right? They're not just concepts. They're, I, I can physically see them in my, my mind and recreate them for you if you wanted to. And so it's like snapshots, right? It's, a, it's that book of pictures in my life. And I'm like, I have a chance to create those for my kids and I want them to be great. I tell my wife all the time, and I, I've never shared this with anybody, but I get very emotional with my wife and I lay down next to her and I start crying sometimes. And I'm like, I just, I just want to be old and gray laying in bed next to you. And I want you to be like, you know what, honey, we made it. And we had an amazing go. And I want my girls to be there and be like, dad, we had the best lives ever. And that's a big change for me because I always said, I wanted to have my best life, right? Like selfishly, you're like, I want to have my best life. Or you hear it all the time, you know, you, I'm living my best life. I'm doing all this stuff. And I've had wonderful adventures. You know, I've, I've gone to art college. I've played college sports. I've had art shows and gallery shows, printed books, written books. I was a professional athlete for one day. And I even designed the uniform that I got to wear. I've had all these amazing adventures. I've gone to China, done all these wonderful things. But the greatest adventure at all is being a dad. And it's true. And it's hard. And it's exhausting. But man, for them to look at me on my deathbed, you know, and whether that's younger or older, and be like, Daddy, it was wonderful. Thank you. I think that's the greatest thing ever. I, I think it's the coolest thing, and it absolutely changes all of my artwork. It changes my novels. It changes my books, my comics. It, how can it not? You know, it changes the the content, but I think the passion you feel about the people whom you love is evident in your artwork because I barely felt the transition in Ragamuffins. So you think it was natural? You think it, it was just felt so natural? Well, that's awesome. I almost didn't notice. I was just like, okay, so where are the, some of the old characters? I haven't seen some of the old characters in a little while. And then I'm like, wait, no, this is a whole new thing, isn't right. it? <laughs> it's almost like Ragamuffin, Ragamuffins version 2.0 yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. But it's it's funny because those characters have come back a couple times. Yeah. And 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 I actually have a couple of storylines where they're coming reintegrating, right? Because you 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 want to have a cast of characters, and I have some fun things in store. So hopefully, yeah. everybody's reading them and checking them out. Yeah, of course. I, I would encourage everybody to check that out. And that seems like it's a theme in a lot of the stuff that you produce because also, you know, you talked earlier about how you you published a book of stories that um, was kind of a product of the Angels and Souls series that you made, but you also have a book, The Golden Rule, which I've read a little bit of. Right. And the first thing that I noticed was how familiar the characters were to me. Right. Because they were people that I already knew from right. just having known you and knowing the people that were in your life. 
what why is it so important to you to recreate the people that you love in the stuff that you're producing um well i mean we've talked about it. they've been so great to they're me just in my life. such a big part of they're, who they're, you are absolutely i, I get mean it. you know i mean i get it. it it is who i am but i also think just like you just said you connected with them because you knew them mm-hmm. my goal is to replicate that for people so whether or not you you personally know people in my life but there's a lot of people who read my novel and go i may not know that person but i know a person like that it's very relatable and one of my professors in college always said you know write what you know and that's something that they say all the time right like write what you know write what you experience but it feels very natural for people because they go this is like my you know i know someone like this or i've experienced an aunt like this or i have this character or you know there's some kind of connection to them i think those are the great books you know, I, I talk about, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings and I talk about, you know, C.S. Lewis and I talk about J.K. Rowling and any of these great novelists, you know, or, or even like Stephen King. It's the their written works resonate with people because they they understand people and you connect with them because you're you relate to those characters. And so hopefully that's what I achieve with my books. But it's also because I know them so well, so I can write them as real people. Oh, and, I see, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? Like it, it's it's they're not they're not that person exact but it's an, it's a representation of that kind of individual. Mm-hmm. And the more I've traveled, I realize people are very unique. Everybody's different, but there's a lot of common ground between people, right? Yeah. You get similar personalities, similar character types. There's the archetype. There's the archetype, yeah. you know, and, uh, and, then and you, it resonates with people. And, and so like the golden rule series is actually seven books and the second book's going to come out soon. Uh, exciting. You know? Yeah. Thanks. And it's, uh, it's interesting. The first four books take place at the same time but in four different parts of the world. Right. And then book five, six, and seven are actually going to bring those four characters together. But I wrote that a long time ago, and the second book is 90% done, mm. and I just haven't finished it yet. But it's it's coming out. And everything, the golden rule is the mathematical equation. It's right. not, you know, treat others as you wish to be treated. It's the mathematical equation. So all the books are, it goes by a lot of different names. I've lectured on this, the golden third, the golden section, the golden spiral. And so all the books are named Fibonacci sequence. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And so like, um, it's all based on that, and uh, it's it's pretty neat. It's fun. I, I mean, I've sold a few thousand copies. That's of that exciting. Book. Who who is like your your perceived audience of that book? Um, I always wanted to take the approach that J.K. Rowling did, which is it's a young adult novel. Yeah, right. But I want adults to be able to read oh, it I think they could, and, yeah. and connect it. And I I'll never forget this. Obviously, it's my mother. So everybody listening, take this with a grain of salt. But I wrote a character in there um, that's an adult news anchor. And it was interesting to me because my mom called me and she was like, oh my God, I just love that character. That character was amazing. And I was like, really? She's a secondary character, right? Maybe even a tertiary character. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, why Why was that so great? But then I realized it was a woman who worked in her job her entire life, nine to five, but then all of a sudden just packs up and leaves and says, I'm out. I'm out, I'm done. And I'm like, that's what my mom wishes she could do sometimes. You know, like, you know, your adult life, you know, you're getting close to retirement and you're like, man, I've been working for 25, 30 years. I wish I could just pack up and go. And it was very liberating, I think, for my mom to read about a character that said, you know what, screw it, I'm out. I'm packing up and I'm going, you know. And she packed up and goes to be with her family. And so I think that's, you know, with my mom, she loves her family. So it was neat to me to see somebody read it that connected differently. And then, and then what's funny is I had somebody over in France contact me and write me, say they bought a digital copy from Amazon and they're like, I really like this character. And it was one of the bears. Oh yeah. It was one of the bears. And they're like, we, I love the brother bears and, and I don't want to give anything away, but they're like, these bears were amazing. They are entertaining. You know, they're like, how did you come up with these characters? And I'm like, well, I just took five and, you know, five and eight year old 
Zach and I <laughs> and wrote them as characters, you know, and um, people go, oh my gosh, you know, and so it is neat to see how people relate to those characters differently. Right, it's right. very unique. But that's what I assumed that you would say it was like a young adult novel. And I think that's really interesting because I have friends who have kids who are about that age mm-hmm. who would probably be interested in reading some stuff like that. Um, and, and who knows, maybe even my friends would because it's fun. Thanks, man. But it's just, I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this whole creative process. I hear you talk about like the construction of characters and I'm interested in writing. Right. I want to write things like this is my, like my first creative like adventure outlet. Yeah. But, um, I definitely see ways where I could produce content that was much more curated that I'd spent time composing and I've tinkered with it with speaking in, in person yep. and, and like doing engagements like that, but also like giving speeches at friends parties. And it's something that I definitely could see myself get being good at for sure. And just so, do it. And so I'm fascinated by the process. Oh, just just do it. I mean, the, the biggest thing is just do it. Like yeah. I, you know, like, uh, it's funny cause you know, Hannah is a, is a, educated writer she knows all the technicalities of it i mean she could explain all these things i don't right you know i share the story about my teacher going man your grammar is awful you're spelling thank god for spelling check i mean you know it's not i just want to tell stories the biggest thing i tell people is do it you know just do it uh, my oldest brother brian is a minister and he does all these great writings and one of his goals in life he's he's we, we love books in my family we love books and he's always had this dream of writing a book always and he doesn't know how, you know, you, you talked about, Hey, well, how do you do that? That's a dream of mine. How do I go about doing it? And I broke it down for him. I said, well, here's, here's the deal, Brian, you, you write all the time, all the time. You're constantly writing. And so I helped him launch his chasing squirrels, right? Which is, is like a, a, a group and a thing where he writes these little weekly segments. They're maybe a three minute read. Well, he's done them for over a year now. Do you know how many pages? He oh has? gosh, tons. Yeah. He's got like 260 pages. Yeah. And I'm like, Brian, I'm going to turn that into a book for you. Yeah. Now you're a published author. Mm-hmm. Once you've done something, it's easier to do it again. Right. Once you learn what it takes to achieve success, to achieve that goal, you can then keep doing it. And I think that's the brilliance. It's contagious. Mm-hmm. When, when you see th- what you've done here, you started out with what, one mic? Two mics? Yeah, two mics, I mean, yeah. two mics, and now you have this that beautiful- That your Uncle James gave me. <laughs> right, you know, which is great, but I mean, now you have this beautiful setup, you have this beautiful environment, and it's only going to continue to grow, because once you had success with two mics, you're like, oh my gosh, I could do this with four. You know, I, I have 10 countries represented, now I have 50 countries represented, and once you learn how to do it, that next challenge becomes easier. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny when people go, I'm interested in your creative process, and I could take you through, because it's, it's very different. My, my process for writing is all in my head. I don't really do a prescript. I, you know, and there's uh, Hannah talks about, and she's educated me on what that is. There's a term for it where I just sit down and write. Like I don't plan anything. I just write, and the, it, it just all comes out. Other people script it out and write it out. Um, the comics, you know, I usually have an idea and I do a quick sketch, and then I go right into it. I draw first, then write. Um, you know, the the fine art pieces, I usually work on four or five pieces at a time, and you know, and and keep working. So the creative process is different. The one thing that's universal, though, Mitch, is you have to do it. Yeah. Fail, fail miserably, That's fail it. all the time, screw up. I mean, I've I've cut pieces in half, I've burned pieces, I've scraped them down. Fail miserably, but do it. Don't sit on the couch and just go, oh God, I wish I could. You can. Yeah. There's nothing in this world you can't do if you want to do it. There's so many options. And if you don't know how to do it, somebody will help you. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's 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 just I know it's the Nike slogan, but it's true. Just get out and do it. Yeah. But you make a great point because one of the things that I've noticed in this process is how gracious people have been. And just all I've had to do is say, hey, man, do you want to be on my podcast? And some people have said no, 
but most people have said Boy, they're, yes. They're silly. I was, I was, <laughs> I was begging and hoping. I mean, if if you're listening, I'm sitting there going, "I hope he asked me, dude." When you text me, I was like, "What just happened?" <laughs> I didn't have to because I'd already been pestering you about it. Yeah, I, 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 I felt like I was pestering. No, you not at all. I think it's. I mean, it's cool. It's an honor. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, it's cool because, and I, I mentioned this to you upstairs in the kitchen that I like this because you have a wide variety of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have some childhood friends and mm-hmm. like I found myself listening on a trip to West Virginia for work, listening to one, uh, I think it was with um, uh, uh, Van, Van Tilburg mm-hmm. and it was just neat. It was just, I find myself like smiling, just listening to you guys like reminiscing about kid stuff and, yeah. you know, and like high school stuff. And then you have some unique individuals that are professionals or have had these amazing experiences. And uh, I, I like it. I think it's really fun. And, you know, for me as an, as a creator to come down and be with you who's now the creator. I'm sitting over here watching you do your work and it's so fun. And I'm like, is that what, is that what it's like when people watch me draw? Yeah. Is, you know, it's, I don't get to experience that that often. Mm-hmm. And so it's very neat and very cool. And I love seeing your success. I mean, you know, I appreciate it's, that. Man. It's awesome. I appreciate it. And having people like you, uh, around me just in, and and pouring out that positivity into me, I just really appreciate that. And I think all of us could could benefit from being surrounded by more people that have that point of view. Well, I agree. You get the best out of everybody. You know, I've, I've told you before that all these people in my life supported me and and have continued to do that. I feel like I need to do that with everybody else, you know, and it only makes them better, you know, and like I hate these, I hate these people like, oh, that's not very good. Like I have a, a, a young student, uh, really great story. He was a young student and he's artistic, very creative. Uh, his dad's a writer, like for Hollywood, all this stuff. And he becomes a tattoo artist. And he he's been doing very very well he's like in year four of it going through his progressions learning how to do it and uh he's out in colorado and this young man is amazing dylan if you're listening dude uh awesome stuff well he did this drawing and this drawing was really pretty good right well the first troll that gets on there right you know is nasty i mean just like well this looks off this looks off this is bad this is bad and of course that person probably has never drawn anything in their entire life but dylan had the greatest response he's like i really appreciate your feedback man um, and you can feel that way, but I'm surrounded by people who are making me better. And he's like, in this drawing in two years, I'm going to crush it. And he just has that mindset and he does surround himself with people who are very positive and it is a growing process. Half my drawings are crap, man. I mean, some of them are amazing. Don't get me wrong. Some of them like, did I draw that? Is did, Wait, I drew this, you know? Um, or some of the comics are bad, but being around people who encourage you is part of the battle. It really is. You, you the, the energy that you get from other people directly influences mm-hmm. your creativity. Well, you know, a big part of the process that I that I enjoy is, and, and you talked about this yourself, about the failure. Yes. You see in your failure places where you can prove, where you can improve. The challenges that I sometimes see myself facing is where I'm making the same mistakes multiple times yep. and trying to grow from those things and really trying to make the changes that are necessary. There is pain in that process. Um but like you were saying, if you just continue going through it, you'll get better. Yep. And so like that's what I hope that I can do with this podcast. That's what I hope I can do with my relationships. Because it applies to everything in it life. It applies to everything. It's just like, you know, um, I, I have people all the time that are doing like weight loss programs. And uh, I just recently had somebody come to me and they're like, I've lost seven pounds in three and a half weeks. And I thought I'd have lost a lot more. And I'm like, that's amazing. I'm like, that's, that's amazing. Imagine where you'll be in a year. Right. Like in a year, imagine where you'll be or like, uh, you know, my art series took me five years and people are like, it took you five years. Yeah. But I kept going, you know, I've, I've been writing the second novel for many years. You know what? But it's going to feel really good when I finish it. I'm going to keep writing the other ones. You just have to put one foot in front of the other and your mistakes thing. I, I agree with, I think it is hard. Complacency can be bad, 
right? If I'm just continuously just repeating and doing the, the, the same mundane, making the same mistakes, you, even though you're aware of it. However, at some point, if you keep going, you won't make that same mistake. You may have made it nine out of 10 times, but that 10th time is when you, if something clicks and you go, oh, if I would just do this, I'm not going to do that anymore. Right. You just got to keep moving forward. And, and I use a lot of sports analogies, baseball, you know, in baseball, in the professional level, you can fail seven out of 10 times and still be considered one of the most excellent hitters in Major League Baseball batting 300. Right. It's it is that. And it's that way in life a lot. You know, you're, you are going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. It's how do you keep moving forward? And it's really hard. I struggle with depression. I struggle with anxiety like bad. Ask my wife. She'll tell you. I mean, every morning I wake up, I'm like, nobody, nobody is resonating with my comic today or, or whatever, and, or artwork. It's very personal, right? You're putting yourself out there. And, and I'm, I feel like I make mistakes all the time as a dad. But if I keep moving forward, I have a chance to be better. And that 10th time or 100th time is when you really have a breakthrough moment. And you're like, wow, this was, this is a game changer. This is a complete game changer. And, you know, every time I tell athletes, you know, I've coached five different sports. I've been a teacher. I'm a, I'm a um, you know, a manager of a, of a group of team members. Just keep doing your best. Hard work always pays off. Always. It may not pay off when or how you think it should, but hard work always pays off. Always. So just keep doing it. Be truthful to yourself and keep doing what you love. Good things will happen. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with your uncle. And he, he asked me, it was like in a Bible study or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And he asked me, he was like, what are you seeking? And I was like, I, you know, I'm seeking comfort and I'm trying to be, I'm trying to find a place where I feel like I can settle. And he's like, that's the wrong thing to be seeking. And I was like, what are you talking about? I feel like that's what everybody is looking for. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, it's not. Right. Wrong. Right. And it took a long time peace, for that to really make sense well, to me. Yeah. P- peace is good. And contentment is good. Right, those are good things. Right, being very content and very and having peaceful nature, in my opinion, in the struggle. Right, because I've never met anybody when I really sat down and talked to people. Right, and and you know I have a lot of friends that are very philosophical and very theoretical. There's a lot of people that go, well, you're lucky, Seth. You knew you were going to be an artist from day one. Well, yeah, I was. I am one of the lucky ones. I had a calling. I had a vision. Or you just have these people that you talk to. There's a lot of people that don't have people surrounding them or didn't have a chance or didn't get exposure. But nobody ever has ever told me, Mitch. No one's ever sat with me and said, you know, it's not that I I do want more. I I want more. And it's not always more of material things. Or And sometimes that is. You know, sometimes a nice new car is nice or a nice new house or a nice new studio. Those are nice things. But what they're really meaning is I want more fulfillment. I want to be fulfilled in my life. Whatever that may be, I want to be fulfilled. And it's not like I have to have more and more and more. You can be peaceful and you can be content, but you always want to have constant fulfillment, right? And that's, that's you know, we can get into, you know, theology about, you know, pursuing God and Christ and all those things. But I think just fundamentally, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. I think innately God has put that in there or the creator or, or whatever you want to call it. Human beings innately have a desire to be the best versions of ourselves. There are some bad people out there, some evil out there. I'm not denying that. But I think the average human being wants to be the best version of themselves. A lot of times we just don't know how to do it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we see that in our the drive that we see for innovation. Yes. Like always trying to be create the next new thing or produce the next new awesome thing that makes everybody's life easier or allows us to understand our, the world that we're in better. Um, it's a big part of what we are as as human beings. Well, uh, and there's a lot of people that struggle. I mean, you know, with depression and anxiety and, you know, it's hard. I don't feel good. I don't feel, you know, and, and those are the people that would look at maybe listen to what I just said and go, 
that's easier said than done. And it's absolutely true. Yeah, of course it, it is. It is so hard. It is so hard. You know, everybody just says, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. It's very, very hard. And I'm not saying it's that easy. I'm just saying keep moving forward one step in front of the other, right? Like keep progressing, keep going. It, it Life is amazing. I mean, it, yes, this right. existence is amazing. It's hard. Yeah. And there are some bad times, but man, and that's why I love creating. You know, because it's a joy. It's like this little, you know, light lightning bug of joy. And uh, and then I get to share it. Well, and also when you're producing something, you're in the moment. Oh, man. Yeah. So we've talked it's about euphoric. this a lot. It's We've talked about this a lot. So I, I, I also struggle with anxiety and I definitely get depressed. And for me, it's not something that I think is, um, it's definitely a part of who I am as a person, but mm-hmm. it's something that I could treat relatively well just by changing my behavior and and i know that's not true about everybody but for me i do think that that's true and so you know i've really pursued at least an understanding of things like mindfulness and so i realize now how much of my life that i miss just because i'm not paying attention to Mm -hmm. it how distracted i am from what's actually even happening around me what's really important right so like the other night i had this moment where um i'd been busy i'd worked all that day and then I was like, I got a podcast that I need to finish editing because I don't want to get behind and I got to record an intro and outro and I'm, I need to make some ads. So I was sitting on that couch next to my wife and I'd been playing with her, right. and like poking fun right. at her. But mostly my attention was on this thing that I was doing. And it was right before we were about to go to bed. She's in the bathroom brushing her teeth. I'm laying in the bed and I'm, my attention is now just on the process of, of ending our day. And I get underneath the covers <laughs> and I hide my head between the pillows and I'm trying to look like I'm not in this place in anticipation of scaring her. And then in the, and just in that moment, I realized I'm looking at my ceiling and I thought to myself in 20 years, I'm going to look back on times like this and think these were the best times Absolutely. of my life. Absolutely. And I wish I wish everybody listening could see have seen you wiggled into the couch. I just wiggled in. Deep. I mean it was like it was brilliant, you know, and this and this smile on your face because it's true like I'm I couldn't watching, wait to scare my wife. I'm, I'm watching you relive this moment and I believe you 20 years from now you're going to look back and have I mean your cheeks are red, you're you're smiling big, you cozied into the couch and those are the little moments. I mean those yeah. are the wonderful wonderful moments but instantly that brings you joy. Yeah. Right. Instantly yeah. that brings you joy and, and being aware of those moments, being conscious of those moments, those are huge. And again, your wife, you know, you and I talk about, you know, our, our wives being a huge, huge part of our lives and how they've changed our lives for the better. And, and we're so grateful. And that's like, you know, one of the things I think is great is when my wife and I first started dating. And I mean, I knew I was going to marry her the moment I saw her. I, I just, I just knew. But I remember um, she was a model for me in one of my art pieces, actually for the Animalia series. And she made a comment to me. I had a really bad week and that bad week turned into a second bad week. And she came over one day and she's like, Hey, what's going on? And I'm like, well, I'm just struggling. I'm having this bad day. You know, you're thinking all those other things. And she looks at me and she goes, when's the last time you sat down and drew? When's the last time you went to your studio? And I'm like, well, it's probably about two, three weeks. And she goes, that's a problem. You've lost focus on the little joys that you have. And for me, one of those is creating. Right. And she's like, you need, you need to go back down to the studio. And I was like, Oh my God, she gets me. Like, you know, your, your wife being playful and waiting for you to jump out and scare her. And I'm sure she had a great time with that, like knows that that's part of your personality and it brings you joy. Well, also I knew that she 
totally wouldn't buy it. <laughs> right, right. Well, and that's that she, she, she knows you're in the, the bed. Yeah. I mean, it's like as a little kid. It's like, I'm going to pull the blankets over my head and I'm going to scare mom and dad. Well, where's the kid? Where are exactly. they at? I mean, she knew you were there. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like this little playful, joyful thing, you know? And But but again, they know that about you and and that brings you joy. And my wife, knowing so much about me, that I was struggling. And part of that was I didn't have that creative outlet. You didn't have that playful, you know, mm-hmm. you were getting lost in some of these other things. And, and, and that is powerful, you know? And, and it's funny, I, I talk to people all the time. I have a lot of friends who are struggling because they're like, I haven't found somebody. I don't have that partner. Be patient. They will be there. The right person will come in. You know, I've, I've gone through some bad experiences and, and I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm part of the reason for a lot of those bad experiences. And I continue to make mistakes with my wife and my children. But ultimately that step process, right? Keep moving forward. Keep trying to be a better version of myself. Keep trying to progress and, and love those little moments. You know, the kids, you, you asked me earlier, you know, the great joy of being a dad, those little moments like you sneaking in the bed or like, you know, my daughter's coming up to me and saying, I love you, daddy, without me asking for it, you know, or like, you know, like Cora comes over and she's like, dad, I just tooted. And then like, you know, she's like, ah, you know, and like, I'm like, toots McGee over here, you know, and like, you just have these joyful little playful things and it is, um, invaluable, you know, and it, it does help me get out of my depression, helps me get out of my anxiety and I focus on the right things. I don't focus on the negative. So your behavioral attributions that you're talking about, you know, I think that's huge. Uh, medication can be great too. Medication is a wonderful thing, but I think, uh, do what you love and that helps bring that joy forward. How do you deal with personally the things that you know you benefit from the types of behaviors that you know you benefit from, but you don't particularly enjoy doing? Oh, that's a tough one, man. Um, (laughs) um, We've actually adopted in my family, my my girls and my wife, um, we've adopted the saying from, oh, what was a show? It was a show. Uh, it it uh, We kind of say, it needs to be done. And I think, is it from Bluey? Yeah, it's from Bluey. There's a cartoon, kids cartoon. It's, oh, it's Bluey. It's amazing. I got it's, friends with lots of kids. Oh, it's I got ab- lots of friends Bluey with is absolutely amazing. And, and the dad's always like, oh, needs to, uh, has to be done. You know, it needs to be done. And we've kind of adopted that. And you find you you have playful moments even when the things you don't want to do. And uh, those also provide, like, I, I love my job. I'm very grateful for my nine to five. Unbelievably grateful. It's difficult. It's very hard. And obviously my oldest brother, Brian, uh, who, who is a minister like James and has coached me through a lot of things. One of the things he says, he goes, yes, but this provides for you to do all of those other things. He's like, you help me with this. You help me with that. You help Zach with this. You do your books. You do your comics. If you didn't struggle through those things that you don't want to do, you wouldn't be able to do these other things. And that conversation was a game changer for me because this life is hard. I mean, this, this life is difficult. It's a challenge. I mean, bills and, uh, you know, even this current, you know, you and I were talking about this current state of being is hard, you know, being locked in and people being scared of dying and, and people getting sick and what's the right choice. I don't know what the right way is to feel. I don't, it, it's a very uh, unique situation. And so I, I think that going through the motions of things that have to be done can't be a good thing. It can be healthy. Right, that routine can be good, and I personally struggle with it though because I get to a point where I look at Caitlin and I go, "Oh God, I'm just like, this sounds bad. I'm just living an average life, and I don't want an average life." And I have to remind myself, "No, this is an exceptional life." Mm-hmm. And so I catch myself, and the older I get, that wisdom I think starts to sit in. I'm not wise by any means, but I think you start gaining wisdom, and and you've talked about this too. Like you know, ten years ago, the Mitch. From ten years ago, twenty-one-year-old Mitch. I don't, oh man, I don't even like him. You know, I don't. I don't like younger <laughs> Seth. I mean, I wish I could go back to ninety percent of the people and be like, I am so 
sorry. You know, like, I mean, you do, you wish you could go back and be like, I'm so sorry for the way I was. And, but then I think, you know, the 70 year old Seth is going to want to go back to the 36 year old Seth and be like, God, I wish I could go back to my younger wife and say, I'm so sorry, honey, this was so stupid. Or go back to my kids and say, I wish I would have played with you more. And so I try to juxtapose that future Seth onto the Seth now and, and remember what would that older version of Seth say? Play with your kids. Yeah. Put the phone down. Yeah. You know, uh, do the artwork, write the book, focus on you and what can you do. And I, I always used to tell um, my athletes, it's not who you are when people are watching. It's who you are when no one's watching. Do you walk past that piece of trash and say someone else will pick it up? Or do you stop and think for a minute, I'm going to pick up that trash and throw it away? Are you going to hold the door even though you're not getting recognition? Are you going to be respectful of your wife even when you don't want to be? Are you going to be respectful of your friends even when you don't want to be? Are you going to are you not going to be judgmental or biased when it's easy to be those things? And so I don't want to discredit that yes, you have to have bigger visions and bigger movements and things like that, but it all starts in the foundational level. And you saw this as a teacher. Education is a big problem. We need educational reform, but we need household reform, mm-hmm. right? We need accountability reform. We need all of these other attributes that start fundamentally at the beginning. And a, and a lot of people in theology would say, well, we need to reform to get back to the center of, you know, living for something greater than ourselves. Yeah. If I give the best version of Seth, Mitch gets a better friend. Yeah. If I give the best version of Seth, my kids get a better dad. And Mitch might get a better Mitch. And, and Mitch might get a better Mitch. And I get a better version of Caitlin, you know, my wife. I get a better version of this. And so by trying to be the best version of me, it resonates. Mm-hmm. And and that's really hard to do. But again, I mean, it's very beneficial for everybody. But, but, but from my perspective, though, I think I, I might be in a position to see how that's not even available to some people. It's not. And I don't think everybody gets that. I think everybody thinks, well, obviously, everybody's trying to just be the best person of themselves, version of themselves that they can be. Yeah, I I don't. I think everybody wants to be. Yeah. But I think a lot of people don't know how to be. How to do it, yeah. And you see that in education when you work with young people. And, you know, it's called public school for a reason. You're working with the public. It's the average person. Mm -hmm. And you see the challenges that the average person in your community is having. And it, it really brought to light how lucky I was and just how... Um, how many opportunities I did have coming mm-hmm. up. It made me really appreciative of of my parents, even though I could also be critical of them, obviously. Oh, absolutely. Well, we all could be. Yeah. I mean, it's like I was talking to a friend the other day. I said, we're all damaged. I mean, yeah. we're all damaged in one way or another. This world is a broken world. It is a fallen world. We are fallen people. But we got to maintain moving forward. I always go back to just keep moving, right? Just keep moving forward. Keep progressing We've fixed a lot of things. We've done a lot of wonderful things. I mean, there's there's kids that achieve things that nobody ever dreamt of them. You know, you and I have achieved things that, you know, we probably didn't even think for ourselves. You know, we're never going to get there. And I, I think that positivity doesn't, everybody's like, well, positivity doesn't fix everything. It's like that whole thing. Well, prayers don't do anything. Well, no, let's keep in mind that people are being positive about something. We're wishing for a better result. We're hoping for a better result. And that mindset in itself is a good thing. Yeah. Right. That mindset in itself is a good thing. When you wake up in the morning and you go, I'm going to own the day and this day is going to be good. You're going to have a better day. Yeah. And that's a choice. And that's that's what being mindful is all about. I agree. It's being aware in the moment. Like, okay, I can choose how I respond to this. It's hard. It is hard. I mean, like earlier I was doing it when you were on your way here. Like one, I wanted to get the house clean before you got here and I knew I had to be in a hurry. So I started off at this pace. Like I wanted to get some stuff done. Then I got all that stuff done and I realized like my heart rate was elevated and I was like, I, I want to be in a place where I'm ready to listen 
not in a place where I'm ready to jibber jabber because I know how I can be. And so that's bad because both of us are like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I prefer that you're like that, honestly. It makes it so my job so much easier. And and I, I see it myself other times, and I'll disappoint myself with the decisions that I make. Oh yeah. But sometimes, but you know, I knew I was like, okay, I need to I need to calm down. I need to get into a more thoughtful headspace. I need to turn off this raunchy podcast that's entertaining me while I clean the house and put on something more uh, that's going to get me into a more thoughtful headspace. Mm -hmm. And I need to take control of my mindset as I move into this conversation. Man, you sound like my wife. Well, it's hard to do, but then I benefit from it. Oh, man, yeah. she's. I mean, that's. she reminds me of what you just said. Uh, She says that to me probably... Every couple of days. Yeah. Because it's easy for me to get in a negative headspace. It's mm-hmm. very easy to fall into it. And I think it is for a lot of people. You know, it is. It's easy. And so, again, a theme for me of this whole podcast that I've been a part of is the people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. You know, having those friendships and those partners and coworkers um, and everybody that just encourages you to be the best version of you. And I'm it's so huge. I'm so grateful that you've chosen to become a part of this community, the Just Friends Podcast community. I'm honored. Are you kidding me? It's it's fantastic. I love what you're doing. I think it's it's a blast, and the more people like you who we can get contributing to it, the more we can improve uh, just the lives of the people around us. I want to encourage everybody listening to go check out your stuff. So let people know where they can find your stuff. Yeah. So on Instagram, it's it's Seth A. Jones. Um, that's the traditional artwork. That's the Animalia, the Angels and Souls. You want to check it out, guys. He builds shit. <laughs> You can watch them. There, it 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 goes from not being shiny to suddenly being shiny, and it's beautiful. It's great. It's it's fun, and he's way too kind. Um, but then you can check out Ragamuffins Comics. Um, that's on Instagram, and obviously the the websites and stuff. But uh, it's uh, the the Kickstarter's up and running. I think we got like another thirty days on that. Um, you can support that. It's it's kind of like Patreon. How do people find that? Uh, just go to Kickstarter and then type in uh, Animalia Art Series, and then you can find that there. It's also on my website and Instagram and all that kind of good stuff. Which we'll post onto the Facebook page and we'll make sure everybody gets a chance to see that stuff. So that'll be great. It's great. And and I just hope it influences people to uh, consume art, you know, to, to help, you know, creative individuals just like listening to this podcast. Um, and I've, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of people go, man, you helped inspire me to, to do something. I always wanted to do a comic and I've learned how to do it. You know, they, they watch my comics and my videos and they're like, oh, that helped me learn how to do this. Or how did you do this drawing? And um, I guess it's that educator in me. Maybe, you know, I like sharing that stuff, but uh, it's great. And the Just Friends stuff is, is amazing. And the community you're building is, is fantastic. And maybe I'll do some cool stuff in the next 20 years to get back on at some oh, point. Oh, dude, you can totally come back on. I want to get you on with more people. I, it would be fun to do you, me, and Hannah. Roundtables would be Zach. amazing. Oh, roundtables. Four tables, people is yes. great. I think roundtables would be, the conversations you could have with that would be exceptional. Like, I would love to do one with Hannah because she is so such a different writer than I am. Like, I want to, I can't wait to listen to her podcast. You know, and I would love, you know, her and I have multiple, she's my cousin who's like, my she's my sister. But we sit there and talk about the writing process because I just freeform. I just sit down and write. And the character, and she's so, you know, cognizant of the structure and, and it's beautifully written and all of these things that that's a unique conversation itself, you know? And you have like musicians and I'm like, Ooh, I want to pick their brain. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like, I just need to have a big party and invite, <laughs> and invite everybody from just friends over and say, let's talk. Let's do it. Let's have a cookout. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that Absolutely. would be, that would be amazing. Uh, yep. You have a lot of unique friends, man, and you're facilitating it unbelievably well. You're too kind. I appreciate you so much for being here, Seth. No, Thank you so much. Me. I love you, man. 
I love you too, but it's it's awesome. It's, you should have seen how giddy I was. I'm like, I'm gonna get to do it, just friends, dude. You should have seen. I I literally had to like go sit on my couch and t- do some like deep breathing exercises. <laughs> like I got to get myself in the right spot. Well, hopefully I didn't disappoint. I mean, I know we went we went all over the place, but uh, it's fun. You and I always kind of just talk. Whenever we get together, we just kind of just talk. So, my right, brother, well, I love you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank man. you, Mitch. Bye bye. And here we are once again at the end of the podcast and at the end of a great conversation with our friend Seth. He was such a great guest. He was the perfect combination of really interesting person, but also pretty close friend. I loved talking to Seth. I hope I get a chance to talk to him again soon. It's always a blast. And I hope you guys run into him and get a chance to talk to him too because he's a really interesting guy and he's doing some really cool shit. Guys, make sure you check that stuff out. Animalia and Art Series. And while you're at it, make sure you check out JustFriendsPodcast.com where you can find links to subscribe to the show, opportunities to buy merch, links to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Mitch Makes Podcasts, where you can become a Patreon patron and support the show. Guys, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, I don't care, anywhere where you can rate the show, please give us five stars. Leave us a review. Let people know what you think about the show. Tell them how much you love us. And of course, if you know anyone who knows Seth, of course they love him. How could they not? Share the podcast. Send it to them in the link. Tell them about JustFriendsPod.com. Spread the love. Spread the community. Guys, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week. We've got another fantastic one coming up next week. It's our first returning guest, and uh, I'm going to keep that guest a secret until next week because it's just, it's that special. So make sure you tune in next Sunday to check out the next installment of Just Friends, and until then, please take care of yourselves, be kind to one another, and I love you all. Bye.